After 6 a.m., good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday, nine days formatted, JM in the AM, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 FM, and around the world on the web, jmintheam.org. I thank you all for tuning in, being part of this uh, nine days format. It's day four 
of the nine days, and uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine's lectures have been uh, an amazing addition to our programming during this period of time, as they always are. He is um, going to speak this morning on the topic of responsibility from the Jewish Values series that we've really been highlighting over the last few days here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Beryl Wine, the topic responsibility at JM in the AM. Tonight is the uh, concluding lecture in our uh, series on Jewish values. Tonight's lecture deals with concern for others, uh, which goes under the broad heading of chesed. And the Talmud tells us that Torah tchilosa chesed v'sofa chesed. The Torah begins with acts of chesed. God clothes Adam and Chava in the Garden of Eden. He provides them uh, with a wedding party. Pays the bills. Tachnosis kala. And the end of the Torah is the burial of Moshe Rabbeinu. Vayikbor oso bagai. The Lord buried him in the valley. So since no one knew where Moshe was buried, and no one was uh, the Hebra Kadisha, so to speak, so Kaviyachol the Rabboni Shalom buried him. God was metapil. God bothered with him. So the beginning of the Torah is Chesed, and the end, that's the book ends to the Torah. The bookends to the Torah are concerned for other people. And uh, that became uh, the hallmark of the Jewish people. Uh, that became our identifying trait. We know that, for instance, our father Avraham, uh, who uh, is our inspiration, uh, is the Amud HaChesed. He is the pillar of goodness, concern for others. In a world that where everyone else is Dome, this Dome is Shali, Shali, Vishalcho, Shalcho. What's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, and we have nothing to do with each other. And if you're in trouble, that's not my problem. And as Dome even set up... Uh, a rigorous societal fence to make sure that no stranger would ever come into town. And that uh, no, uh, no one need be concerned about anyone else. We see in the story of Zdom that when Lot, the relative of Rahum, comes to Zdom and he allows the guests, the angels, to come into his house... Uh, the, uh, an entire uproar. The whole city turns out and is ready to lynch him. Because how dare you care about someone else? So, we would therefore say that Avram Avinu, who is the uh, representative of everything that's opposite to Zdom, so when God tells him, you know, we're going to destroy Zdom, he would say, great. You know, nuke them. They deserve it. Get rid of them. 
Instead, Avram Avinu says, Hashofet Koloaretz Loyasem Mishpot. Is it possible that the judge of all mankind should not attempt to do justice here? Maybe there are 50 good people in Zdom. So we have to save Zdom because of the good people. 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. So because of that, Avram becomes the father of the Jewish people. Becomes the father of the Jewish people because he cares for others. And he cares for others so deeply uh, that even when perhaps it goes against his own self-interest, he is still willing to care for others. And uh, the rabbis wanted to emphasize to us the greatness of that quality. So in the uh, Amida, in the prayer that we say three times a day, uh, for Shacharit, Mincha, and Arvid, that we say, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchok, Elokei Yaakov. You're the Lord God of our father Avraham, our father Yitzchok, our father Yaakov. But the bracha ends, the rabbis say in brachot, Bechochosni. The bracha ends only with you, Mogin Avraham. Why does it only end by Mogin Avraham? Because Avraham is the representative of that quality of chesed which allows us to pray to God. Because if we don't care about anybody else, then why should God care either about us? If we hold everybody to such strict standards of behavior and conformity, and that everyone has to be just perfect, otherwise, and not only just perfect, he has to be... uh, you know, my countryman, he has to be the same exact as I am, and otherwise I don't care about him. So then, uh, how can we approach God that he should care? Because God, after all, deals as we deal. Just as we measure, so God measures us. And therefore, you'll find that the rabbis say, that it pays to have very nice traits because then God will be nice to you as well. But for instance, if you're a perfectionist, so then God is a perfectionist when He deals with you. And if you hold everyone to certain standards and they don't meet them and therefore goodbye, so then that's how God treats you. So this idea of uh, we seal the bracha with you, Avraham, because you are representative of the fact uh, that somehow we do care for others. And caring for others is an attitude and it's behavior. There are some people who have the behavior and not the attitude. There are some people that have the attitude and not the behavior. And there are some people that have neither the attitude nor the behavior. But the Torah wants us to have both. So for instance, the Torah says, when we give charity to somebody, and the Lord does not send us the perfect beggar. 
I go through this every morning here, right? He doesn't send you an appealing person to somebody that you would love to give money to. And most of the time, you know, you know, they'd reeks of tobacco and who knows what drugs he's on and he's half drunk and you know that's the guy that comes in, right? And he's the one that waves it in front of your face. So the Torah was well aware of that. So the Torah says, Valyera Your heart should you don't feel badly when you give him money. So you're giving him money. I mean, what could be, you know, who can hold you to a higher standard than that? You overcame everything within you to give this ne'er-do-well money. And the Torah says, oh, that's not enough. You shouldn't feel bad. You shouldn't feel that somehow, oh, you know, I've been exploited. I've, my money is wasted. I shouldn't have done it. Your heart shouldn't feel bad. The Torah demands that attitude from us. And therefore the Gemara says, When it comes to giving, so it says, Give and give again. The Gemara says, even a hundred times, so, you know, so, so I just gave you yesterday, you're back again today. So, it's a question of attitude. I want everyone to understand that we're talking here about a standard that we try to reach. To say that every day we, we're there at that standard, there are very few people that are at that standard. There are very few people who are able to deal that way. Always. But that, at least, is what we aim for. That we aim to be the children of our own. Uh, we aim to have room somewhere in our universe, even for Zdom. Uh, we aim to save our relative Lot, even though Lot has betrayed us, and there's no betrayal like a family betrayal. And yet, Avram uh, is determined that Lot should be saved. It's his relative. So this concept of caring for others, this value, overrides many other things. Uh, I'll give you a few examples if I may. The Medrash says the famous debate in heaven whether or not man should be created. So emes, the uh, value of truth, which you'll notice was not one of the values that I spoke about. The value of truth said, al yibore, let us not create man. Shukulo sheker. It's all, he's all lies from beginning to end. It's all the newspaper. It's all television. It's all baloney. It's all the shatcha. Nothing true. Sheker. Who needs him? It's Olama Sheker. It's a world of lies. World of untruths. Spin doctors. Public relations. All the good names that we have for lies. 
Chesed Omar, Chesed said, Yibore, we should create it. Because man has within itself the ability to do good things. And because it has the ability to do good things, because uh, millions of people will send uh, aid uh, to Indonesia uh, because of the tsunami, even though we don't know anybody in Indonesia, and even though Indonesia is not friendly with us, and even though uh, all the even those. But man basically can do chesed. If a person wants to do chesed, there's no limit to what he can do. Right? God gives us opportunities, unlimited opportunities to help people. And therefore, Yibore, God, you should create him. Now, so all the Mephorshim say, what about the lies? How does Chesed cover up for lies? I mean, Emes is right. Mephorshim say that Chesed overcomes it. Because as we've discussed, all values... They are on a relative scale, so to speak. Which value has the priority? And therefore, the priority here is chesed. To help somebody. To do something good for somebody. And that overweighs the fact that we live in a world of falsehood, in a world of sham. It's all overweighed by that. Now the rabbis didn't define chesed, they called it gmilus chasodim. Gmilus chasodim means uh, to reach out to others. That's basically what it is. The word chesed itself means to break down barriers. So we find that the word chesed is also used in a negative sense in the Torah, uh, where the Torah discusses incest in a family, a man living with a very close relative of his, so the Torah says, chesed. It's a chesed. Meaning that you've broken down a barrier. So gemilas chasodim is the breaking down of barriers because our essential barrier is self-interest. It's selfish. It's mine. Why should I care about you? And if I'm able to break down that barrier, so that's called gemilas chasodim. I'm able to be Gomel Chesed. I'll be able to somehow transfer Chesed to someone else. Now the rabbis were very, very clear on the subject. So they said, for instance, Zdokov Chesed Shkulin Keneget Kol Mitzvah Shabbatorah. If you put all the mitzvahs of the Torah on one side, and you put charity and Gemilas Chasonim on the other side, it'll weigh it down. Where do we know that from? From Avraham Avinu, who was before Matan Torah. The Gemara says that Gemilas Chasodim is greater than Tzedakah. Tzedakah always means giving money. Giving money is easy, relatively speaking. But Shad Tzedakah Bechayim Tzedakah while you do with the living. But gemilas chasodim is bechayim u You can do gemilas chesed 
with those who are living and those who are no longer here. So the Gemara does not just mean that we, you know, we attend, God forbid, funerals or we're the burial party or we're the we're the chevra kaddisha that uh, that prepares the body, etc. Which all of which are great gvilas chasodim. But the Gemara means that uh, we we look after his widow and his orphan. And we look after his ideas. We see to it that the person is not forgotten. All of that is under the idea of Gmilas Chesed. Because of the fact that we care about that. We care that it should not just disappear. Gmilat Zdoka is Ba'aniyim. Zdoka we give to the poor. Gmilas Chesedim. You give even to the wealthy. You call someone up. Smile at someone. The Morris is very uh, uh, adamant on greeting people. You see somebody in the morning say, Bokertov, good morning. Now here if you do it, you know, people look at you like, what's your problem, right? But uh, the Gemara says on the great Rabbi Yochanan, uh, who was the head of the yeshiva in Tiberias and Tveria, and the main uh, figure in the Talmud Yerushalmi, uh, the Gemara wants to know if Rabbi Yochanan lived a very long life. So, um, if you make the reckoning in the Gemara, he probably lived a century. The Gemara wants to know how come. And the Gemara always asks these questions. And the Gemara never says because, you know, he did exercise or he had a good diet or he had a good doctor, all of which is necessary. But that's not the reason that the Gemara is looking for. How come you lived so long? And whenever the Gemara asks that question, the answer is always a moral answer. The Gemara says, because Rabbi Yochanan said hello to everybody in the morning. The Gemara says that he even said hello to non-Jews. He said hello to everybody that he saw. So I try, I'm not Rabbi Yochanan, you know, but like I go in the morning to shul, so my uh, garbage men are always there, right? So I, you know, and they're not necessarily Jewish. The guy that's driving the truck is Jewish, but the other... The ones that are schlepping the, the garbage are not. You know, and I say to them, broke her toes. So like I did it for uh, two, three years running. And they finally, you know, uh, acknowledge that somebody said something to them. So that's afilu la'ashirim, right? Even the wealthiest person likes it if somebody says to him, hello. Or uh, Shabbat Shalom, right? And there are people that just walk right by you like you don't exist. So then you're not Gomel Chesed. Tzdoka is b'mamono, the Gemara said. Tzdoka you do with money. Gemilas chasodim b'mamono b'gufo. You do it with money, but you do it with your body as well. You do it with your all... You have a chance to do it with everything. But the Gemara says, Avrom Avinu Vayita Eishel Bever Sheva. So Eishel, uh, 
is the uh, acrostic of Achila Shesia, and the Lamed is either Lina or Levaya. Avraham Avinu, he gave people to eat. He gave people a place to sleep. Uh, he accompanied them when they left. There's a din that you're supposed to walk a guest to the door. Even though the guest knows the way out. So that's uh, that's Avraham Avinu, right? So he does it with him with his body, right? He shows honor to a person. So that's uh, that's Vayita Eishel planted this. So Vayita Eishel is not just that he planted it in Beersheba; he planted it within us. And I, uh, I once saw something. It's funny, but it's not funny. Uh, of one of my rabbeim in the yeshiva, so another rosh yeshiva came to visit him, and I happened to be in the uh, in their presence. So when the rosh yeshiva got up, the guest got up to leave. So he walked them down to the street, and then the other man walked them back to the apartment. Right, and they kept on going. You couldn't get rid of each other because neither one of them wanted to leave the other one unattended. Right, so they, you know it could go on forever. But that's the concept. The concept of the fact that uh, the smallest act counts in the Gemilas Chasodim roster. Doesn't have to be great things. They're small things. It says in the Torah, "V'Chesed Hashem Me'olam." God's Chesed is forever. So the rabbi said again, Chaviva Yoser, it is the most beloved, more than charity, more than anything else. We'll see even more startling statements regarding Torah itself. The Rambam in Hilchus Matnas Aniyim, in Hilchus Zok, the Rambam lists eight measures of Gmilas Chesed. The highest form of Gmilas Chesed of Zoka that the Rambam lists is finding a job for someone. More than giving him a million dollars, because if you uh, create a method by which he can earn his own way, then you've not only just given him the ability to have uh, money and support his family, you've changed him. Uh, you've given him the fact that he's a productive person. And that was always a Jewish trait. And remains so in spite of our uh, uh, turning into a capitalistic economy here in the country. It still remains so that having a job is important. And therefore that's why we have a lot of inefficiency in our markets. uh, Because having a job is important. So in Europe, for instance, uh, we saw it even in religious life that uh, every synagogue has uh, more than one gabai, when one will suffice. But if you ask the man what he did, oh, I'm the gabai Shani, I'm the gabai Shlishi, right? So he was somebody. They had somebody who was called a vecker. 
a lot of Jews called Baker. Baker is from Vecker. They used to knock on your window five in the morning to tell you to come to the minion. That was his job. Now that's a job, right? A shadchan, that's his job. A batchan, he makes, you know, that's his job, right? Yeah, you're somebody. So in Eastern Europe, where the unemployment rate was 40%, unbelievable how poor the Jews were, but yet everybody had to have a shred of self-respect that he was somebody. I know there was a man in Chicago, I remember, that if you asked him what he did, he said he was a shatchan. So they so they asked him, did you ever make a shidduch? He said, not yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> but meanwhile, he was gainfully employed, right? He was doing something. And the... Uh, the, the uh, for instance, in the United States, the Depression of 1929 to 1939, the 10-year Depression, uh, inflicted enormous psychological damage, not just economic damage. Because you're a nobody. So the Rambam says the highest form of Gmilas Chesed is what is to create a place of employment for someone. I remember I had a Jew in Muncie in my shul. He owned a large sweater factory in Brooklyn. I knew that he was a Jew, a survivor from the Holocaust, a Hasidic Jew, an interesting person. And he would come to shul every Friday night. And uh, after I uh, wished him good Shabbos and everything, he had this beatific smile on his face. And he would say, you know, today, he said, I paid 350 people wages today. The 350 people weren't Jewish. They were, well, it didn't make any difference. I gave him a check today. So that was that's attitude. So that's gomle chasodim. And the rabbi said, therefore, that's one of the hallmarks of the Jewish people, that we have three things that by which we should identify ourselves. By shonim, that we have a sense of shame, something which unfortunately is diminishing. But it was a time the Jews weren't brazen about their faults. We had a sense of shame. Nobody wanted to be written up in the paper. Today it's just if they spell your name right, that's all. And Rachmonim, Jews are merciful. And they're gomle chasodim. And they they care about others. They have a concern about others. So those are hallmarks. Those are... uh, DNA traits, those are genes within us, that's Avroma Vina within us that we have those qualities therefore for instance in the 19th century uh, when the Haskalah began and the Haskalah adopted all the ideas of the enlightenment from the outside world wanted to create the new Jew 
problem with creating the new Jew is that he never arrives, the new Jew. Meanwhile, you destroy the old Jew, and the new Jew never comes. That's part of the problem that we have here in Israel, is that we created all the time the new Jew, and he's not here. So, the Tnuat Hamusar, the Musar movement, uh, founded by Rabbi Soil Salanter, uh, became a very strong movement in Lithuania, especially amongst the religious elite and the yeshivot and in the, amongst the Talmud Chachomim and the Rabbonim. And it laid the emphasis on the fact that we have to care for others. Because the situation had become so desperate that people stopped caring. People were, in, were not, no longer sensitized to other people's troubles. Uh, and this movement came to uh, revitalize uh, the Gemilas Chesed aspect within the Jewish people, which it did. And Rabbi Soros Salanter's famous uh, statement was that my other person's olam hazeh is my olam habo meaning I have to worry about how this person is going to get along in this world and if I worry about it and I care and I help that person so then that helps me come to the world to come uh, we live in a world where sometimes that's opposite right where we're always worried about the other person's olam habo is he religious enough? Where does he eat? How does he dress? What is it? You know, where does he pray? Does he pray? And we're worried about our ulam hazeh, about our how things go for us here. So the Muslim movement stood to correct that imbalance. And therefore, they placed great emphasis on the smallest nuance. And we see that in the Gemara also. The Gemara says, for instance, that you're not allowed to have a dog in your house that will frighten people. The Gemara says, I hope nobody here has a dog, or a bad dog at least. So that's uh, he, he transgresses on the words in the Torah You should not have blood in your house So uh, what's wrong if I have a dog in the house? But what's wrong is that somebody may come in and be frightened of a dog So you'll say well that's his problem that he's frightened of a dog It's not his problem, it's your problem you have to be sensitive that there are people who are frightened of dogs. And then there are people that, uh, you know, they have pit bulls or, uh, or uh, Doberman pinchers or uh, these enormous dogs that really can be killers. The dog snaps. So that's literally lososim domim bevesecha. But the Gemara saw that as a value. Do you care about others? If you cared about others, you wouldn't have such an animal in your house. Everybody tells you, don't worry, he never bites. 
but that doesn't do any good to a person who's afraid of dogs. Now, the Gemara discussed what do we do now that there's no Beit HaMikdash to bring forgiveness for us. When the Beit HaMikdash existed, so its main purpose was that it brought a sense of forgiveness to the Jewish people and to the world generally. That sins could be forgiven through the service in the Beit HaMikdash whether it was by bringing an animal sacrifice, uh, visiting the Beit HaMikdash, that was the atmosphere. The atmosphere was that the Lord would forgive you. Now that there's no Beit HaMikdash, what do we do? So the rabbi said uh, straight, B'zevachu mincha eno miskaper. Today we cannot uh, have any forgiveness through a sacrifice or by bringing a meal offering in the temple. There's no temple anymore. None of that exists. But we still have a way to reach God. Through the pillars of Torah and of Gemilas Chesed, of care for others. So the Gemara tells us a story that uh, uh, the house of Eli, Eli Akoi, so the house of Eli was cursed that its descendants did not have longevity. They didn't live long. They lived only to 40 or 50. So the Gemara says that Rova and Abaye both were descended from the house of Eli. The great Rova and Abaye who are... Uh, pretty much the mainstays of the Babylonian Talmud. When we think of the Talmud, so we say, Omar Abaye, Abaye said, it's like the headline for the Talmud. So, they uh, were from the house of Eli. So, uh, one text in the Gemara is that Rova lived 40 years, one text is 50 years, and Abaye lived 60 years. Abaye outlived him so the Gemara says, why? Why did Abaye live longer than Rova? So the Gemara says, because Rova only studied Torah, but Abaye was not only Osik by Torah, he was Osik Bigvilas Chasodim also. And the schus, the merit of Gemilas Chasodim, so how can you say that Rava didn't do Gemilas Chasodim, right? Rava could be Machaya Mesim, he could revive the dead. But it means relative to what could have been done. Rava concentrated on the study exclusively, and Abaye devoted with great intensity his efforts to Gemilas Chasodim as well, and therefore he lived longer. So the Mephoshim says, well, why did he live longer? The answer is people needed him. It's no longer because of him, it's because of others. And we find that halacha, and that's the key to understanding Gemilas Chasodim, is that people need you. If people need you, then God can't, you know, we got unfinished business here, we got to let it go a little. Gemara says, Rabim Tzrichim Lo. About a certain 
Amora. Many people needed him. So many people needed him. So the Gemara says that when he was cured from his illness, the Gemara said he didn't have to, the Gemara is in doubt whether he had to make the blessing of Hagomel Lechayovim Tovos. What we call the Birchas Hagomel, the blessing that is made when a person recovers from illness. The Gemara says, because uh, he recovered from illness not because of him, he recovered from illness because Rabim Tzichelo, many people needed him. So it had nothing to do with him, it has to do with the other people. My Rebbe always used to say you should always be in the middle of something. Never, never finish a thing. Never say, okay, now that's it. You know, now I retire. Because you're in the middle of something, so then they need you still. And if they need you, so, well, so... uh, so Abayah lived. Abayah is not supposed to live till sixty, but because he was also chasodim, and there were people that needed him, he was still in the middle of doing things for people. So God added years to his life, so he would be able to complete the tasks that he had undertaken. Primary mitzvah in the Torah. Rabbi Akiva says, That's the overriding value in the Torah. The Gemara says that that value extends to executing the criminal uh, for uh, murder, let's say. So the Gemara always says, Give him the easiest death possible. In the, in the world, the... Uh, the methods of execution of criminals were always so uh, brutal, tortured to death, terrible things, and everybody felt the guy had it coming. Look at it, you know, he's a murderer. He did such a heinous thing. The Gemara says, includes the criminal also. Rorlo miso yofe. Choose for him a death uh, that is not painful. The Gemara describes that they used to anesthetize their uh, the, those that were found guilty, etc. So only now in the Western world uh, is the world somehow coming to this sort of idea. And the Gemara generally, the Gemara, the rabbis were against any sort of capital punishment. The Mishnah and Makkah says that a Bezdin, that the Sanhedrin, that once in seven years or seventy years found somebody guilty and executed him was a bloody Bezdin. J.M. in the A.M. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills. Rockland County is at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web. J.M. in the A.M. Dot O-R-G. Thursday morning, day four of our nine days format. It's the 31st day of July, the final day of July 2014. Day four in the month of Menachem Av, the year 5774, Tufshin Ayan 67 degrees, 69% humidity, winds are west at three miles per hour, afternoon thunderstorms with a high temperature of 80, mostly clear for tonight, low 68. Tomorrow, scattered thunderstorms, a high temperature, 82 degrees. We're at 88 in Yerushalayim, 86 in Tel Aviv, 
86 in Haifa, 100 degrees in a lot. 55 up in Guilford, New York, where our friends in Camp Missouri are enjoying a Thursday morning broadcast. Those who are tuned in on the app, the NSN app, which I hope you have on your iPhone or Android. And we're at 67 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. Well, we'll get a couple of reports today from Israel. Uh, Joey Bodner is in Israel. He picked up and uh, is one of a select group of people that uh, when they hear about trouble in the Holy Land and feel that they can uh, visit soldiers and play a role in uh, lifting the spirits of the people in Israel, especially the army, they go ahead and do so. So Joey's going to join us coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. Phil Rosen is going to join us. Only problem with interviewing Phil Rosen, as I always say, is that he uh, likely can't share everything that he knows with us, but we'll ask him about the timetable for this week. There are rumors flying that there'll be attempts made in the next couple of days to uh, end this war. We'll see if he has any insight regarding that. Um, Plenty more coming up here on a Thursday, and a reminder that uh, Malcolm Honline will join us tomorrow at 7.40 in the morning with a weekly update. We'll have an opportunity to explore a whole bunch of things. A week from today, where with uh, Yom NCSY in Israel, and a week from tomorrow, we're with the fr- our friends in Stay Road in Israel. Uh, it should be a unique broadcast, to say the least. Our broadcast in general from Israel this coming trip are, go- are going to be unique, but the one from Stay Road on Friday, that should be very interesting. Uh, so make sure to be tuned in as we uh, kick off our official trip to Israel Thursday morning. Matis will be here Wednesday, and we'll kick things off from Israel on Thursday uh, with our friends from NCSY, and we are looking forward to that. JM and the AM, or a Beryl Wines uh, lecture on uh, the topic of responsibility will continue. And uh, we will uh, eventually get to its conclusion this morning here. I do remind you that the phone number for information about Rabbi Wine's lectures on these millions of topics that he so brilliantly presents is a 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Well, will there be a ceasefire? Palestinian and Egyptian sources reported that a Palestinian delegation comprised of both Hamas and Islamic Jihad arrived Thursday morning in Cairo to discuss a potential ceasefire agreement with Israel. Earlier, a Lebanese newspaper reported that, according to senior Palestinian sources, President of the PA, Mahmoud Abbas, spoke with the Secretary General of the Islamic Jihad, Ramadan Saleh, and told them that the groups were willing to participate in the Egyptian discussions as one united government. An Egyptian newspaper reported Thursday that the delegation will hear from Egyptian officials about the ceasefire that has been accepted by Israel. The report stated that in the delegation comprised of Fatah member Azam al-Ahmad, Fatah head of intelligence general Majad Faraj, Deputy Secretary General of the Islamic Jihad, Ziyad Nahala, and senior Hamas official Musa Abu Marzouk. Palestinian sources said the delegation decided to include the opening of the Rafah crossing in the ceasefire talks, as well as discussions of opening all the borders of Gaza. The sources added that Egyptian officials pressed Abbas to convince the sides to agree to a two-day ceasefire 
in order to convince Israel to accept Egypt's newest initiative. This comes from a report in the Jerusalem Post. Meanwhile, the um, the Jerusalem Post continues to blog about the war. At noon today, at noon today, which was uh, almost two hours ago, rocket sirens sounded in the Gaza frontier communities, including Stay Road. Just afternoon, Prime Minister Netanyahu said Thursday that he would not allow any ceasefire that did not allow the IDF to destroy all the infiltration tunnels in Gaza. Speaking before the security cabinet meeting, the prime minister stated that IDF soldiers are currently finishing off the job of destroying tunnels. We've destroyed dozens of tunnels, and we will finish the rest with or without a ceasefire, Netanyahu vowed. Defense Minister Yalon said that the damage done to Hamas by the IDF and Operation Protective Edge is unprecedented in its scope. Speaking at the opening of a security cabinet meeting, he said that Israel would not compromise on the security of its citizens in any truce to end fighting. Just before 1 o'clock, before we went on the air, sirens sounded in Stay Road after a wave of rockets fired at the city. Three rockets struck inside the city with damage. One person injured lightly. At 1 p.m., which is um, 6 a.m. here, rocket sirens were sounded in the Gaza border towns. And just recently, rocket sirens sounded in the Ashkelon coastal areas. That's some of the latest in the Jerusalem Post live blog of Israel's Operation Protective Edge in Gaza. We'll see what happens. Lots of rumors flying about a potential ceasefire over the next couple of days. Be interesting to see what goes on. And uh, those of you out there who are, uh, who continue to uh, focus on Israel, we uh, encourage you to continue praying, gathering for Tehillim and prayer rallies and sessions. If there are specific rallies that are being planned in your area, and I know some towns, some cities in the United States have done some incredible work recently. Not just in arranging for rallies and demonstrations, and a lot of great uh, communities have done that, but I noticed that some communities actually started canceling events that they felt were inappropriate to hold during this time. And that is a very important message to our, to our community around the country. I thought that was good. Uh, noticed that a couple of um, JCCs and uh, Jewish centers in general were canceling events that they felt were inappropriate. That were planned, obviously, a couple of months ago, but they felt were inappropriate to have uh, during this trying time for our brothers and sisters in Israel. JM and the AM, I, um, I came across an email that Rabbi Riskin, Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, the founder and chancellor of our Torah Stone Institutions and, of course, the chief rabbi of Efrat, came across an email that he sent out, quote-unquote, from the front lines. Uh, he had been visiting soldiers. He had been, uh, as you can imagine, playing an important role in comforting people at this time. You'll hear about that in a moment. And he writes the following. One of the first sacred karbanot, one of the first sacred sacrifices of this war was Yuval Hyman, born in Ephrat, a seventh-generation Jerusalemite, whose great-grandfather, along with three other members of his family, had fallen in the War of Independence. Yuval's bris and his bar mitzvah took place in Ephrat. He graduated with distinction from Derech Avot, or Torah Stone. 
won many trophies and medals for excellence in sports, volunteerism, and B'nai Akiva, and was an outstanding member of Bachad One Officers Training School. He was slated for a shining future as a great Jewish leader, but then he became one of the first sacred korbanot, sacrifices of this war. When I entered the Shiva home, Rabbi Riskin writes, Yuval's grandfather Yehuda, a silversmith and regular attendee of our Dafyomi class, ran to the door to greet me with a warm embrace. We both wept silently. Then Yehuda caught himself. In this Shiva house, we do not weep. Of course, we are overcome with grief. But the dominant feeling in our hearts is pride and zuchut, the privilege of being able in our generation to sacrifice for the Jewish future. Moshe and Zahara, Yuval's parents, both explained that of course they cry, but at night, into the pillow, privately, and not for others to see. The profound message they convey is the merit of living in the generation of rebirth, of their ability, which the past generation of the Shoah could not do, to take Jewish destiny into their own hands and pave the way, albeit with heartbreaking commitment and sacrifice, for Jewish future and redemption. In effect, they were repeating the words of the brother of great-grandfather Hyman, who said, upon establishing Kibbutz Nechalim, after losing the four members of his clan in the War of Independence, Hamakom, the place our home in Israel reborn, comforts me among the mourners of Zion and Jerusalem. Pretty amazing. And finally in this email, Rabbi Riskin, and he has an, an assortment of vignettes that are so important to read, and I always suggest that people join his email list because every week his... Uh, his words are amazing, obviously, now during the war. He's added so many different stories and so many important messages. Rabbi Riskin writes, The day before I came home to make my visits, my daughter Ilana was in a Petach Tikva Judaic gift shop purchasing a challah board. A mother and her young son were inquiring about large knitted black Bretzlov kipot, which would cover the entire head. She explained to the store owner that her son was one of four observant boys in their Gaza army unit, and the usual small-style knitted kipot jostled under the large army helmets and made it uncomfortable for them. The owner searched around a bit and brought out four large black kipotes. I need 40, smiled the mother. But you said there were four observant soldiers in the unit, so why would you want 40 kipot, logically inquired the storekeeper. 
The mother explained that when the other members of the unit heard her son's request for large kippot, they inquired about the reason for wearing a kippah in the first place. Her son explained that there was a verse in Psalms which suggests that the divine presence is above each individual and this divine protection is symbolized by the kippah. All the soldiers then requested large kippot for under their helmets, claiming that they are all desirous of continued divine protection, especially in Gaza. The storekeeper managed to find 40 large kippot, for which he refused to take any money. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin from Israel, these are some of the things that are going on in the Holy Land during this time. Difficult for some of us to relate to it, especially when we're so so far away. Kudos to those who are really setting aside funds and time to pray and to think and to worry about the members of the IDF and the citizens and residents of Israel who continue to be under fire. And let us pray for peace in the Holy Land, a true lasting peace at this time. It's a minute before 7 o'clock on a Thursday. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. I do remind you. That we will be here on Tuesday, Tisha B'Av, with a kino service on the radio for those who may need it. So keep that in mind. It's very helpful for people who are not able to make it to shul or make it but have to leave early because of work and uh, concerns like that. I do remind you there will be a mincha service at 2 p.m. on Tisha B'Av at the Isaiah Peace Wall in New York City. It's a very important gathering each year, and this year, of course, has so much extra meaning because of everything going on. The Isaiah Peace Wall starts at 2 p.m. with Ashray. They do make an effort because there's so many working people who come and bring your talis and tefillin and sidurim. They do make an effort to get through the program and davening as soon as possible. Uh, so try to be there. Again, it's 2 o'clock, Isaiah Peace Wall, 1st Avenue, 43rd Street, New York City, coming up on Tuesday. And um, like I say, it's a very, very important aspect of Tisha B'Av and uh, Jews around the world or on the hearts and minds of all who gather there. Rabbi Weiss makes a uh, a wonderful presentation each year about caring for one's fellow Jew. Try your hardest to be there and bring your talis and tefillin and sidurim on Tuesday. Monday on this program, Yossi Baumel will join us from Stay Road. We sort of are we have Stay Road at both ends of the week. Yossi Baumel will visit us on Monday. We'll visit him Friday in Stay Road for a JM in the AM broadcast from uh, one of the major cities right near Gaza. So we will be there Friday of next week, Erev Shabbos Nachamu. Make sure to be tuned in. And tomorrow morning right here at JM in the AM, don't forget that Malcolm Honline will join us. We will get the latest, his latest analysis of what's going on. There are rumors flying about a potential peace fire, a potential ceasefire and maybe a peaceful resolution to this uh, very challenging time. We'll ask him about that and speak about more of the news of the week coming up tomorrow at 7.40 right here at JM in the AM.
Got lights on in the background. We're going to do our news from Israel coming up, then conclude by Wine's lecture on responsibility. Fagy Zakheim is going to join us. Big program coming up today in the Catskills. Joey Bodner will be with us from Israel. Phil Rosen's going to check in. A whole bunch of stuff this morning here at JM and the AM, so make sure to be tuned in and stay tuned in all morning long on our stream, on our network all day long. Appropriate music for the three days, acapella, for the, for the nine days rather. Acapella style, of course. That'll happen all day long on our stream. Make sure to install the NSN app on your phone, your Android, or your iPhone, and you'll have appropriate programming no matter where you are all through the day in your car, in your office, your home, wherever it is that you'll be all through the day today. Galait Sal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JM in the AM. גליצאל השעה שתיים, כאן שיבל קרמי מנסור עם מה שקורה עכשיו. ראש הממשלה נתניהו נזף בשרים שמותחים ביקורת על פעילות הממשלה בזמן הלחימה. אחדות ההנהגה חשובה להצלחת המערכה וחשובה מאוד לעם ישראל. אל תפגעו באחדות המיוחדת שקיימת בינינו ומעל הכל. שרי הממשלה הם אלה שצריכים לתת דוגמה אישית לציבור כולו. בעת הזאת העם מצפה מכולנו, ובראש ובראשונה, משרי הממשלה, להתלכד מאחורי המטרה. כתבתנו שרון פולבר מוסרת שבפתח ישיבת הממשלה המיוחדת בקריה הוסיף נתניהו כי לא יסכים לשום הפסקת אש עד שיושמדו המנהרות. עד כה נטרלנו אה, עשרות מנהרות טרור, ואנחנו נחושים להשלים משימה זאת, עם או בלי הפסקת אש. ולכן לא אסכים לשום הצעה. שלא תאפשר לצה"ל להשלים את המלאכה החשובה הזאת לביטחון אזרחי ישראל. ואילו השר עוזי לנדאו מישראל ביתנו קרא שלא לנהל משא ומתן להבנות עם חמאס. החמאס לנו בעזה הוא כמו אל-קאידה לארה״ב. לא מנהלים שום משא ומתן עם החמאס. ואת החמאס ומנהיגיו צריך לרדוף בדיוק כפי שאובמה רדף את בן לאדן. סמל ראשון גיא אלגרנטי, לוחם מגלן שנפל אתמול בחאן יונס, מובא כעת למנוחות בתל אביב. כתבתנו עופרי אשל. מאות אוהבים, קרובים וחברים התקבצו בבית העלמין הצבאי בקריית שאול ללוות את סמל ראשון גיא אלגרנטי בדרכו האחרונה. גיא, לוחם יחידת מגלן בן עשרים, נפל אתמול בפעולה מבצעית ברצועת עזה. מותיר אחריו הורים וחמש אחיות. בעזה הלחימה נמשכת. דובר צה"ל פרסם לפני זמן קצר הקלטות מהיתקלות בין כוחות גבעתי למחבלים ברצועה. מטח רקטות נורה לפני כשעתיים לשדרות וסביבתה ושמונה בני אדם נפצעו קל מרסיסים או מריצה למרחבים מוגנים. כתבנו רמי שני מדווח כי שבע רקטות יורטו בשמי העיר. שר הביטחון יעלון והרמטכ"ל גנץ שיבחו את פעולות צה"ל, גם הם דיברו בפתח ישיבת הממשלה המיוחדת. השמדנו עד עתה אמצעי לחימה, תשתיות, מוסדות שלטון, רקטות ועוד. אנחנו לא מתכוונים להתפשר על ביטחונם של אזרחי ישראל. ולא נרפה עד שישובו השקט והביטחון. מה שאני יכול לתאר לכם זה שילוביות יוצאת דופן. אתה נכנס לתוך מפקדת חטיבה או אתה מגיע לכוח בשטח, אתה לא יודע עם מי אתה מדבר, עם קרבי או עם ג'ובניק, עם טייס או חיל אוויר, הם כולם מעורבבים אחד בשני ועושים באמת עבודה נהדרת. 
התרזית מחר חם מהרגיל, ולסיום, לא רק חטיפים. איאן וואט מקיבוץ כפר הנשיא שבגליל מבקש להעביר לתושבי הדרום את הדלעת הגדולה בישראל. כתבנו גיא ורון שוחח איתו. לקח חודשיים מהזרע עד היום, ואנחנו מקווים שהתלת הזה יהיה מעל 250 קילו. אנחנו הולכים להסיר אותה לקיבוץ כרמיה היום בצהריים, ומחר בבוקר נגיע לשדרות, לאנשי הדרום. ואלה החדשות שעורך הדר שיפר. Uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine is uh, in the midst of a lecture on the topic of responsibility. Information about Rabbi Beryl Wine's lectures is 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Uh, we'll try to conclude Rabbi Wine's lecture now and then come up uh, with a uh, more special guest uh, who will be joining us at JM in the many AM. Many people needed him. So many people needed him. So the Gemara says that when he was cured from his illness, the Gemara said he didn't have to, the Gemara is in doubt whether he had to make the blessing of Hagomel Lechayovim Tovos. What we call the Birchas Hagomel, the blessing that is made when a person recovers from illness. The Gemara says, because uh, he recovered from illness not because of him, he recovered from illness because Rabin Trichelo, many people needed him. So it has nothing to do with him, it has to do with the other people. My Rebbe always used to say you should always be in the middle of something. Never, never finish a thing. Never say, okay, now that's it. You know, now I retire. Because you're in the middle of something, so then they need you still. And if they need you, so, well, uh, so... Uh, Abayah is not supposed to live till 60, but because he was also and there were people that needed him, he was still in the middle of doing things for people, so God added years to his life. So he would be able to complete the tasks that he had undertaken. Primary mitzvah in the Torah... Rabbi Akiva says, That's the overriding value in the Torah. The Gemara says that that value extends to executing the criminal uh, for uh, murder, let's say. So the Gemara always says, Give him the easiest death possible. In the, in the world, the... Uh, the methods of execution of criminals were always so uh, brutal, tortured to death, terrible things, and everybody felt the guy had it coming. Look at it, you know, the murderer did such a heinous thing. The Gemara says, includes the criminal also. Rorlo miso yofe. Choose for him a death uh, that is not painful. The Gemara describes that they used to anesthetize their uh, the, those that were found guilty, etc. So only now in the Western world uh, is the world somehow coming to this sort of idea. And the Gemara generally, the Gemara, the rabbis were against any sort of capital punishment. 
that the Mishnah and Makos says that a Bezdin, that the Sanhedrin, that once in 70 years or 70 years found somebody guilty and executed him was a bloody Bezdin. The state of Texas kills three a month. That's based on the fact that the rabbis were convinced that it's better to let 999 guilty people walk on the street than have one innocent person be executed. And now that we've had, uh, there's, there was a case now in Chicago of a man that was uh, convicted of all sorts of crimes and everything, and now they proved it with the DNA that he didn't do it, and he had nothing to do with it. And, uh, right? So they would have killed him. And that's based on the idea that you don't have to worry a guilty person doesn't get away with it because there's a God in the world and eventually everything gets straightened out. But we are not we are not to be killers. So the rabbis therefore said, Imraiso, if you see that the schus ovos has become weaker, and the schus ovos doesn't only mean the merit of the fathers, if you see that the tradition is weakened. People are not like previous generations, or people are unaware of previous generations, which is really the situation here today, to a great extent, both in Israel and in the, the diaspora. Jews don't even know. They don't know who their grandfather is. Don't know. So if you see that that's weakened, so the Gemara says, "Luchu vidovku bechesed." The way that will save us is by doing chesed. And that's a trait that remained by Jews. That's like the last station on the road, right? Does he still give money to Jewish causes? That's really the last stop on the road. Once that's gone, so then it's gone. But there are a lot of Jews that really had nothing else in life except that. So there were people uh, that used to rail against checkbook Judaism, they called it. Right? Writes out the check. But there's something to be said for checkbook Judaism, because he's still in the ball game. He's still under the uh, general heading of our father Abraham. When there's no more checkbook Judaism, so then he's really gone. And there's nothing left. There were two great rabbis. So, more it talks about it. Rabbi Lozim ben Parto and Rabbi Hananya ben Tradion. Two great Tanoim who were arrested by the Romans for teaching Torah. So, one was freed. Rabbi Lozim ben Parto was freed. Miracles happened. The Gemara tells us about it. And he was, the Romans let him go. Abchanina ben Trajan was not freed. He was convicted. And he was burned to death. He was wrapped in a Sefer Torah. And they burned the Sefer Torah and they burned him with it. So uh, when he was convicted, so Rebelosim ben Parta asked him, How come I was freed? And you were convicted. He held that Rav Hananya ben Trajan was uh, as great, if not greater, than he was. 
He was a famous holy man. He's the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir. He's the father of Bruria, the famous uh, woman in the Talmud. Uh, so he said, I, "Why, well, you know, like, what, what, what's the problem in heaven with you? If they're willing to let me go, then why didn't they let you go as well?" And Rabbi Hanani ben Tradion told him. Sha'at asakto betorah ubigmilas chasadim. Vanilo asakti yellow betorah bilvad. The same idea that we saw by Rova and Abaye. I only study Torah, I only taught Torah. So even though Torah is the value, right? And we discussed that in the, the great lecture that I gave about Torah, right? But the overriding value. Freed, he was convicted, and he was burned to death. He was wrapped in a sefer Torah, and they burned the sefer Torah, and they burned him with it. So uh, when he was convicted, so Rebbelozim ben Parta asked him, "How come I was freed, and you were convicted?" He held that Rebbe ben Trajan was. Uh, as great, if not greater, than he was. He was a famous holy man. He's the father-in-law of Rabbi Meir. He's the father of Bruria, the famous uh, woman in the Talmud. Uh, so he said, I, "Why, well, you know, like, what, what, what's the problem in heaven with you? If they're willing to let me go, then why didn't they let you go as well?" And Rabbi Hanani ben Tradion told him, "Sha'at asakto betorah ubigmilas chasadim, v'ani lo asakti yelo betorah bilvad." I the same idea that we saw by Rova and Abaye. I only study Torah. I only taught Torah. So even though Torah is the value, right? And we discussed that in the, the great lecture that I gave about Torah, right? But the overriding value to Torah is Gmilas Chasodi. I remember that uh, I was uh, 16 years old, which really is a feat of memory already. And uh, I'm sitting in uh, my Rosh Yeshiva's shear in the Chicago Yeshiva in Rabbi Christworth's shear. And a man walks in, a clean shaven, Man, the business suit, dressed to the gills, uh, and he has cologne, and his uh, hair is uh, gelled. You know, I mean, he is not the man that you expect to walk in the middle of the shear. And he walks in the shear, and Rabbi Christward jumps up like a, uh, you know, like a, like the, he had a spring in the chair, and he says to all of us in the shear, "Stand up." The Rebbe said, stand up, so we all stand up. And the man uh, spoke to Rabbi Kreisler for two, three minutes, and he went out of the room, and we never saw him again. So in the middle of the shear, we never asked the Rebbe anything, but after the shear was over, we said, Mazeh, you know, what's going on here? So we thought, you know, this guy... Uh, must give a hundred thousand dollars a year to the yeshiva, or uh, you know, must something. 
Rekhaisar said, he saved ten Jews in the Holocaust. So he says the halacha is that for a balmasev, for somebody that did the, a masev of chesed, an act of chesed, you have to stand up as though the greatest gone in the world walked into the room. It's a value. Save ten Jews. So a, a few things made an impression upon me. That we have to be thankful that 10 Jews were saved, even though 6 million were killed. And the second thing is, in heaven, how do they judge a person, right? So apparently they don't judge him by his suit and by what cologne he wears and how fancy he fixes up his hair. He saved 10 Jews. And therefore... That's an overriding value. That was a lesson. I mean, the picture is embedded in my mind till today. How the Rebbe said, stand up. We were all ready to laugh at him, right? Because when uh, we were so pious when we were 16. We discussed uh, truth and uh, chesed as being, uh, to a certain extent, two contrasting values, and how chesed overrides it. Uh, so it's a Gemara. Gemara says, uh, Gemara in Ksuvis, the Gemara, famous Gemara that's been put to song, Ketzad Maragdin Lifnei Akala. When we dance in front of the Kala, I don't know how they danced in front of the Kala when the Kala was in the other building, but that was. But apparently, in the time of the Talmud, that was they 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 weren't quite religious. So the Gemara says, "Kate on Maragni Bifnei Akala." How do you dance in front of the? What should you say? So Beishamai says, "Kala Kamoshi." You say what she is. So it depends on the Kala, right? Beishilov says, Kale noeve chasuda. Oh, beautiful, delightful, wonderful Kale. So Beishamai said to them, How about the truth, right? She's ugly as sin. She's, you know, she's not such a nice person, right? So why should I say Kale noeve chasuda when she isn't? So Basilil said to them, Mishakona Mekach Minashuk. If a person bought something in the marketplace and he shows it to you, he bought it already. What's the chetzah to do? Oh, I could have got it for you cheaper. <laughs> Which is the Jewish answer, right? Or, you know, I don't think that color looks good on you. It's not really nice. All of that may be true, but that's the opposite of chesed. Oh, how often do we go through that? Uh, Rabbi Beryl Wine, his uh, series on Jewish values 
He's speaking to us this morning on the topic of responsibility, and we will get, I hope, to the conclusion of this lecture. I say with anticipation because it's one of his uh, great ones. I mean, most of them are his great ones. Uh, anyway, we'll uh, hopefully get to the um, uh, conclusion of that lecture coming up. Information about Rabbi Wine and his incredible series of lectures is 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN, or RabbiWine.com, RabbiWEIN.com. Uh, Dr. Fagi Zakheim is with us live via telephone. She's co-chair, of course, of the uh, task force on um, children and families at risk. Today, in an event that's co-sponsored by the task force and by OHEL, is the annual Catskills Nine Days Conference. A lot of people are in the city this morning, but will be in the Catskills this afternoon. So it's perfect for a Thursday to have this event. And many people are in the Catskills in general. So uh, you'll have an opportunity to go to Cutler's Cottages Shul on La Vista Drive in South Fallsburg beginning this afternoon at 2 p.m. for Dr. Fagi Zakheim and uh, some other great speakers. Information about the event, 212-613-8188. The event is uh, co-sponsored in addition to uh, uh, to OHEL uh, by HASC, by MASC, by the OU Community Engagement and uh, by Women's League and, uh, and of course, Task Force in general has tens of member agencies that participate in these conferences. Dr. Fagi Zakheim, welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachum. Nachum, I love listening to you. Well, you know, thank you very I much. You talk about the ad <laughs> and I think and about the conference and I think to myself, I don't even know why I'm on. I listen to you. If I were listening to you, I'd say, I want to go. Oh. I want to be there. How do you like that? I have some other things that might entice you. It's free of charge. It's in a very good location in South Fallsburg, New York. And in addition to you, Dr. Zakheim, there are a couple of amazing speakers. I see that both Rabbi Horowitz and Dr. Holzer are going to be participating. You are making me laugh. <laughs> You're amazing. You're great. You're just amazing. Oh, and I should tell you, I'm not that amazing because I forgot to tell people the title. We're exploring the joys and challenges of the tween and teen years. And Dr. Zakheim, I think this is a very bold statement on your part to to include among to 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 include in addition to challenges as many parents would agree, the joys of the tween and teen years. I guess you would you would surmise that in fact there is a balance of both joys and challenges in the tween and teen years. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. No, am I, no, am I, am I right? Am I right that from the title I could deduce that you feel that there are both joys and challenges in the teen and tween years? Because, you know, a lot of parents would say, you know what? It's do- it's dominated by challenges, and the joy is sometimes limited. You know that. <laughs> no, not, that is exactly the point of the conference. That's exactly the point. The women are up here in the country. Right. The air is beautiful. The grass is green. The skies are blue. Everything is just, it's really, really beautiful up here. It's, it's so pretty. And if we're going to focus on the challenges and not talk about the joys, it's not in sync with the lives that the women are living up here. In sync with the lives are that there are joys. The kids go off to day camp and we smile and they go off to their activities and we smile and we have counselors taking care of them all day and it's really lovely. We have a couple of hours to ourselves to either bike or swim or just talk to our friends or just do all these lovely things. 
So had we done the conference on just the challenges of the teen and tween years, right. it just wouldn't have felt right. There, mm-hmm. are, there are so many joys and challenges to the tween and teen years. Well, I am willing to accept your uh, proposition that, in fact, uh, there are joys and challenges. And all kidding aside, anybody out there who's lucky enough to be a parent does know that there's plenty of joys and plenty of challenges. Uh, all right, so what, what's going to happen today when Rabbi Horowitz and Dr. Holzer uh, join you at Cutler's Cottages Shul starting at 2 p.m.? It's free of charge, by the way, everybody, no admission fee. Uh, what is going to happen? What will people learn in today's sessions? Okay, let's start with that. Um, the reason that, of course, we always love to be on Nachum is because everybody listens to Nachum. Everybody. And we're assuming that the husbands are in their cars right now coming back from davening. Their radios are open, and they're going to pick up the phone, and they're going to say to their wives, it's the nine days, you're not going swimming, you're not going shopping. That Dr. Barry Halter, who is incredibly brilliant. Dr. Halter, if you remember, when we talked about the Rebitsons Conference, right. he, was our, he was our keynote speaker at the Rebitsons Conference. Mm-hmm. They were blown away. He is so brilliant, has so much information on children. At that conference, he, t- he talked about children and ADHD, children that have ADHD. At this conference, we're focusing on, we had a long conversation with um, Dr. Holzer and with Yanki Horowitz. At this, at this particular conference, we are going to be focusing on parenting skills for children in their teens and tween years. Mm. This tween idea is a new idea. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, this is not a research study, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact our children are growing up much quicker. Right. It could be because of the Internet. It could be because our world out there is so fast-paced that when children were in their tween years, we weren't really worried about them. Now we know the tween years are crucial. We have to work with our children from the day that they are born. And once they hit those tween years, once they're out there with their friends and we don't know what, what, we're, what they're looking at, what they're seeing when they open up different kinds of papers, or even the, uh, mainly the Internet, we, ha- we know that we have to monitor our children. We have to watch our children. We have to look them in the eye every single minute, every single day. There's not a day that should go by when a little child is in the house in the tween years and the mom doesn't say, hey, let's talk for a minute, let me look at you. But just look for changes, little nuances that might be different. So Dr. Holzer is going to be focusing on our tweens and our teens. Yankee Horowitz is going to be talking about profiles of what parents are like. Mm. Well, each parent is different. You have one parent that a child does something, a child uh, walks through the door frowning. One parent might jump on top of the child and say, what's that frown all about? What's going on? You look so upset. Another parent might just say, oh, let me leave it alone. It'll pass. These are very important parenting issues. What, what is the better way to go? Or is there a better way? Does every parent have a certain character, personality trait, and their trait is the best one? You get it? I get it, like, all right. Your parenting skills might be completely different than mine. Your personality is yeah, different than mine. So does that mean that my, that my parenting is correct or your parenting is correct? No. We have to work with the type of person that you are, the type of person that I am, and make what you are the best parent for your child and make what I am the best parent for my child. And we know Rabbi Horowitz pretty well. He's good at, uh, at uh, telling parents how to adjust to that, how to use their, you know, their capabilities and their in- instincts to, you know, to do things in the right way for their kids. Yeah, I'm really excited about his piece because apparently it's going to be like a game. 
Um, and it's very, very exciting, and it's very interactive. Now, the room gets really filled up at Cutler's, Baruch Hashem, because it's free of charge. Most of the programs, I think all the programs up here are for fee. This one in particular we do on our own, so it's a gift to the parents. And he's going to bring, um, he's, go- he's going to be interacting with the mothers there and using their particular personality trait to talk about what that, their parenting is and how to work it so that the child gets the best benefit out of that parent's particular personality trait. And he says it's really interesting because most mothers and fathers have different ways of disciplining their child. Mothers and fathers in the same couple. It's very common that the mother will be the disciplinarian and the father will be the giver, the more easygoing one. Or the father will be the disciplinarian and the mother will be the easy. There's a balance. And he's going to be playing around with that balancing act that we do as parents to the benefit of our children and not to the detriment of our children. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's going to be quite an event. The task force and all its sponsoring agencies uh, present the annual Catskills Nine Days Conference. It's today, everybody, 2 p.m. at Cutler's Cottage Shul on La Vista Drive in South Fallsburg. Uh, Dr. Feige Zakam, Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, Dr. Barry Holzer all present. It's free of charge. All you got to do is show up at this point. As you just said, Feige, the room tends to get crowded. People should make sure to be there on time and to come and enjoy the presentation. Very punctual because it's exactly in between the time that the children run off to day camp and come home from day camp. Right. So we always start exactly on time. It should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Good luck today. I'm sure it's going to be as exciting as every other summer program is. You guys do great work, as you know, so thank you very much. Nacham, you you do great work. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for everything that you're doing for the Jewish community. Thank Uh, you for all your prayers for Israel. Thank you for talking to us about what's going on in Israel. And thank you so much for being in Israel with the, with, the, with the soldiers and with the Israelis. You are just an amazing, awesome person, a wonderful Jew, a model, a role model for all of us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Dr. Feige Zakheim today at the annual Catskills Nine Days Conference. Be there at Cutler's Cottage Shul in South Fallsburg, New York. We're in Israel starting on uh, Thursday of next week. And uh, make sure to be tuned in for our exciting week of broadcasts. It is something that we are very, very much looking forward to. 7.31, JM in the AM. Speaking of Israel, Joey Bodner is going to check in with us in a minute. Based on what I just saw on Facebook, he's been involved in a very interesting project today. I'll tell you about that and plenty more coming up. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We say in the Tachnun, Ki Shema Hashem for Hashem has heard the voice of my weeping. The Anav Yosef writes, in the name of the Sefer Beiskel, Choshishani, I'm afraid that the person that says these words, Shema Hashem Kol Bichyi, Hashem has heard the voice of my weeping. And at the same time, his voice is not weeping, and there are no tears. I'm afraid that perhaps the person is saying Sheker, they're saying a falsehood. And the kavana is not proper. However, in the Kitzur Shalah, it is written, if sometimes a person is not actually able to cry, still, the voice should be as if the person was crying. They should be broken and say it in a low tone, as if they were really crying. And on this, David HaMelech says, Shema Hashem Kol 
What does the koil bichi mean? The voice of my weeping. It means that even in those days when a person cannot actually move themselves to tears, they should definitely become emotional, understand with great sensitivity the tefillah that we're asking, that Hashem has rachamim on ourselves and on all of Klal Yisrael. Particularly at this time, when Achenu B'nai Yisrael find themselves under constant fire, we fully realize that Eretz Yisrael is at full alert. At any given moment, people are ready to run into safe rooms. People are ready to take emergency action. Command centers, troops, reservists, all stand and wait to know what the next moment will bring. It is our schus that we can daven, we can pray, we can give tzedakah, we can learn extra Torah. There are many things that we can do to add to the schuyos of Achenu B'nai Yisrael, which is the ultimate protection of Eretz Yisrael. In our davening, in our prayer, we should think for a moment of the plight of Achenu B'nai Yisrael. Everything that they are going through and that we are going through each moment of the day. Shema Hashem Kol Our tefillus should be the voice of crying, a cry that pierces the heaven and brings shalom to Eretz Yisrael and to the entire world. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. May we hear Besuros Tovas, Yeshuas V'nechamos. Can't thank Rabbi Goldwasser enough for uh, concentrating on the situation in Israel the last uh, few days and for really inspiring us to continue to pray and keep our hearts and minds focused uh, on the Holy Land. I also want to acknowledge any, and we're trying to accentuate the positive. We're not making statements about what people should do. We are accentuating the positives of what people are doing. And yesterday we made a very big deal for good reason about the announcement by the uh, four major Hasidic groups who said that if the war continues, God forbid, past Tishabov, they will keep their yeshivas open with a full study schedule and encourage their students not to take off, not to... Uh, uh, go on the usual Ben Azman and vacation trips, but actually stay in yeshiva. What more could you ask when uh, when people are um, uh, emphasizing how important Torah study is? That's that's called walking the walk, as we say in the vernacular. Any yeshiva in the uh, in Israel or the diaspora that is making that commitment, let us know about it. We would love to laud and to praise the leaders of the uh, yeshivot that have uh, that are that are making that commitment. That if God forbid the war continues past next Tuesday, uh, Tishabav, which generally uh, ends the Zman, ends the semester, if you will, for the yeshivot, that uh, they're going to remain open. So if that's happening here, anywhere in the United States, or obviously any other of the yeshivas in Israel, let us know. As I said, we're going to accentuate the positive and make a big deal of those who uh, really feel a connection to our brothers and sisters. Thursday morning, JM and the AM, speaking of a connection to our brothers and sisters, somebody who needs no introduction to this audience, our good friend Joey Bodner from Teaneck, New Jersey, who, of course, is from a main event caterers. And, of course, you could say as well, whenever there is a situation in Israel that warrants a visit, that warrants some comfort, that warrants some action for our brothers and sisters, Joey figures out a way to get to Israel as soon as possible and act in such a manner. Joey Bodner, live from Israel. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Hi, Nachman. How are you? 
Baruch Hashem, I just noticed on Facebook that uh, you made sure to take, you're a real caterer, you made sure to take care of lunch for all the Israeli soldiers. Actually, it was dinner dinner last night. We were having lunch, and we had come from an army base, so we went to have lunch, and we uh, stopped into the uh, wonderful sweet town of Stay Road on our way back from an army base close to the border, and uh, we went to pizza and to falafel. We split up two groups, and I remembered the pizza store from Cast Lead was giving out free pizzas and uh, to Chayalim, and there were to have a Ryan had to put it on Facebook, and a bunch of other people were sending and calling up with their credit cards and just giving money, and then Chayal applied them and send them, send them to the base, et cetera. So we had gone there two weeks after that with our Brzezinski and a couple other people from TNEC, and we did the same, and then I went back now. And he goes, I remember some lady, teenage just that, whatever. And then he recognized me, and we showed him the picture from when we had previously been there. We took pictures again, and he said he has an order tonight for 270 Chayalim. Wow. Within five minutes, we raised the money, and we uh, covered it. Unbelievable. Call it Kavod. And you've been doing this all week, different things that have been happening. Uh, you've spent time with the soldiers. What What can you tell us? What's it like? What are they What are they telling you? Uh, the whole, you know, experience is amazing from every aspect of it. You know, it goes the whole gamut. First, obviously, we're in soldiers on the front lines. They're going into Gaza. Some of them are in there for three weeks and haven't come out. Some go in for a week, come out, go back in. Others have been injured and got better and went back in. Um, somebody personally, one of my son's friends, was injured and been out. Uh, recuperated in hospital a couple of days, recuperated his aunt's house a couple of days, and went back down and went back in yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Um, and he was just begging to get back in. Uh, so dedicated to protect Eric Israel. And as I, the last post I sent you, I saw the last one that went up. We played a shiver call this morning to a family of a chayal who was unfortunately killed two days ago. And the chayal uh, family and friends that were there could not believe that two buses of people came from America just so they could be Menachem Alvel, Vakachola, and give physic to the chayalim and to the people living in Israel. And the credit really goes and starts with Barry Golden from our store in England who started the idea of figuring to get four or five of his Giborim, his Chazakim, they'll come with him and they'll go and they'll get the small group and do what has to be done. And then Rory Zatzantinik spoke about it in our shore the insurance. And before he turned around, uh, they were begging to get a second bus and they contacted Amuna and Amuna helped put together and we had two bus loads. Um, we were 80 strong. Uh, going from community to community, from base to base, areas where we should have been probably probably wasn't safe, probably wasn't appropriate, closed military zones. But the soldiers that we got there, bringing them, you know, physic beyond physic. Some of them thinking that all Americans don't uh, support them, and to realize that people left America came in to support them. We brought letters and drawings from kids. You had to see this Chayalim. You're talking about soldiers. You're talking about serious soldiers that are going to Gaza. Golani, officers taking this, taping it to the outside of their tanks. There's one tank that's completely covered with letters. And that's what they're going to go in to do this, uh, what I call protection of Eric Israel. Unbelievable. Joey Bodner with us from Israel, uh, part of a mission that picked up here from the United States. 
and is uh, doing whatever possible for these soldiers. Uh, is there a um, is there anything that uh, that you that you could recommend to us? Are there organizations that you come across or uh, different funds and things that you've posted already? One, one thing I'll tell you, everybody, you know, everybody means well, and at times like this, everybody's popping up all over the place. Uh, the most important thing is to find out and legitimize whatever you're getting involved in. A lot of good things going on, whether it be packages for soldiers. But I'll just give you an example of one. I was with a guy yesterday from Chavez Hebron. He gets a phone call from somebody in America who says, I got a call from somebody that this good dude needs socks. And they have these special dry fit socks and dry fit fits and stuff that he can wear for two weeks, three weeks at a time. So he says, that's impossible. I can't imagine. I know that good dude very well. He picks up the phone. He calls the guy. The guy running that good dude says, I have enough socks I could sell socks. <laughs> so it would have been a shame for, you know, funds to be directed in, you know, inappropriately. In he told them what he needed, and he told that guy, this is what they do need. Um, one, I'll tell you the range of things you can't imagine, from 200 knapsacks for them to go into to a place that needed a generator, and they needed tables because they were literally out in the shetta. And we went to places that they literally took a cabbage field and flattened the cabbage field. It was a shame. There's Israeli land, cabbage will get destroyed to make a temporary base. But they go in with a bulldozer, they flatten the land, they come in, they pitch their tents, they pitch tents between tanks, and then they throw up a couple of tables, and all of a sudden you have a military base. And one of these places needed a generator, and they said they needed ten tables. That's the kind of stuff, because you're not prepared for it. All of a sudden you're setting up camp here, then you're moving to here, then you set up camp in the next place. And it's just constant, and... I understand this morning they called up more soldiers. Uh, I think I heard the number another 16,000. Um, as you know, I've been on the phone with you for many a mission. Um, this is probably the most intense that I've ever been at. It's very different than I came when I came with the Intifadas, very different than Cast Lead. Um, and the unity of Am Yisrael, of in Eretz Israel, yeah, and how everybody feels. Um, supporting our Chayelim and protecting our country is something I've never seen before. Unbelievable. It's a, uh, you're seeing it firsthand. It's something that, uh, we continue to emphasize. It, it is remarkable what has happened over the last few weeks, and I hope that this unity and feeling of unity continues. Do you mind if people are in touch with you directly, uh, through Facebook? If, uh... No, absolutely not. Go to Facebook. I'll try to do more updates. I know that Rabbi Zatz and Rabbi Golden are both trying to write uh, emails to their various shuls, and those are being posted. We can try to forward them to others. I literally, I mean, we're in Balenton Hospital, Soroka Hospital, Tel um Right now we're in, we're in Beersheva. We just had a briefing from the mayor of Beersheva and from the head of security. And now Yalom Farhi, who I'm sure you remember, sure. you've seen many times in your I've spoken many times and had in your studio. Uh, Yalom Farhi just walked in here. Yalom is a colonel in the army and is part of the the southern uh, command. So he was locked up in meetings all day yesterday in a base where he, you know, I spoke to him on the phone. He said, like, you can't come in here even. So he we couldn't go in there. So he came down to Beersheba here to, from Tel Aviv to meet with us. Hmm, amazing. So I'm actually missing his speech. He'll uh, give me a demerit for that, but uh, <laughs> I'll be happy I was talking to you. Let him know you're giving Chizuk to all of us and telling us how we can help. Uh, I think that the most amazing thing that I really felt this time, besides what I'm seeing differently, but what I'm feeling 
the people of Israel are feeling differently is since it's spreading so far and spreading so, through so many people, and unfortunately we've lost so many boys and young men and men and uh, so many injuries that will, you know, people will live for many, many years. People's reactions to us were like your tourists that happened to be here, so you're visiting us. And when they find out that two busloads of people picked up and left their families, left their husbands or left their wives and children and jobs and country for a week just to come here for Nichem Avelum, for Bikr Cholm, the chizik to the stam person on the street and chizik to the person in the army, it's an overwhelming feeling of strength. But hearing them, hearing Avelum speak about their kids and their family is literally giving us chizik back. We come to give chizik. And it's amazing how they can turn around and give us food. Uh, no question. And you've given us Chizuk. Thank you, Joey Bodner. And uh, stay well and send regards to everybody. And Kalakavod uh, Latzahal and pray for the peace and prosperity of the people of Israel. Thank you so much, Joey. Amen, amen. And thank you for everything that you do. Uh, you know, Joey Bodner just said something about people picking up and going to Israel and uh, dropping everything wherever they may be in the diaspora and going. I mentioned earlier that Rabbi Riskin uh, um, sent out an email with a few vignettes, a couple of which we've already read this morning, about this war, and a couple of really amazing vignettes. In one of them, one we didn't read yet, in one of them he talks about arriving at Ben Gurion Airport a few days ago and seeing a group of 35 Olim who had just arrived in Israel. And they were dancing in uh, in the airport in the middle of these rockets and missiles as everything's going on, of course. And uh, they had just made Aliyah. So they asked Rabbi Riskin to say a few words, give them a blessing. So he writes, I told them how proud I was of them, how their very presence had been a blessing for me. One of them said that they all took heart from something they had read in one of my early columns. And it was, if Israel were merely Disneyland, then you only come if there is sun and peace. But if Israel is motherland, then when your mother needs you, that is especially when you must be there. And the spokesperson added, And for us, Israel is now homeland. You protect your homeland whenever necessary. You certainly don't stay away. This group that Rabbi, that this group that Joey Bodner just described, that's in Israel now, uh, comforting people who need comfort after the loss of one of the soldiers, one of their family members or who need uh, who need comfort in the hospital, or who need pizza on the front lines, as you heard Joey describe. Uh, those people know that it's our homeland. There are people out there, I'll add, that unfortunately for them it's still a vacation land, and they know how to avoid it when the, uh, when the going gets tough. But as Ariskin said, and as the spokesperson, qu- spokesperson quoted him, for us, Israel is now homeland, and there are some people who get that. And it's great to be associated with people who get that. Twelve minutes before eight o'clock, it's JM in the AM conclusion of Rabbi Beryl Wine's lecture on uh, responsibility, and then more coming up if you keep it here at JM in the AM. We have to be thankful that ten Jews were saved, even though six million were killed. And the second thing is, in heaven, how do they judge a person, right? So apparently they don't judge him by his suit and by what cologne he wears. Yeah, and how fancy he fixes up his hair. 
He saved ten Jews. And therefore, that's an overriding value. That was a lesson. I mean, the picture is embedded in my mind till today. How the Rebbe said, stand up. We were all ready to laugh at him, right? Because when uh, we were so pious when we were 16. We discussed uh, truth and uh, chesed as being, uh, to a certain extent, two contrasting values. And now Chesed overrides it. So it's a Gemara. Gemara says, uh, Gemara in Ksuvis. The Gemara, famous Gemara that's been put to song. Ketzad Maragdin Lifnei Akala. When we dance in front of the Kala, I don't know how they danced in front of the Kala when the Kala was in the other building, but that was, but apparently in the time of the Talmud, that was, they, they, they weren't quite religious. So the lawyer says, Ketzad Maragni Bifne Akala, how do you dance in front of it? What should you say? So Beshamai says, Kala Kamoshi, you say what she is. So it depends on the Kala, right? Beshilov says, Oh, beautiful, delightful, wonderful Kale. So Beishamai said to them, how about the truth, right? She's ugly as sin. She's, you know, she's not such a nice person, right? So why should I say Kale Noeve Chasuda when she isn't? So Beishilov said to them, if a person bought something in the marketplace and he shows it to you, he bought it already. What's the chetzah to do? Oh, I could have got it for you cheaper. Which is the Jewish answer, right? Or, you know, I don't think that color looks good on you. Or it's not really nice. All of that may be true, but that's the opposite of chesed. Chesed is wonderful. I hope you enjoy it. Wear it in good health. I'm glad that you found what you wanted to find. It's wonderful for you. So Beis Hillel said, chesed trumps emes all the time. Make somebody feel good. My Rebbe, all, he used to say in Yiddish, he said, which meant that no one ever punched you in the nose because you flattered him. Even if you know the flattery is not true, but you still enjoy it, right? It was a great sermon, Rabbi. I know that you didn't like it, right? I didn't like it either when I said it. But if you tell me it was a great sermon, I feel good, right? I go home and I feel good about it. So you made me feel good. That's chesed. That's sensitive to somebody else. 
And that's an attitude. That's an attitude that colors everything in life. Now, what a person thinks of when he deals with others. So, for instance, the Gemara asks, how come Moshe Rabbeinu is called Moshe? Moshe had seven names. All of his names, all of his other names are Hebrew names. Yekusiel, Yonason. He has beautiful Hebrew names. Moshe is an Egyptian name. Batya, the daughter of the Pharaoh, gave him the name. Kiminamayim Shisiu. Because I took you out of the water. So, you know, so it's, it's Eric, it's Jeffrey, it's Kevin, right? And what kind of name is that? And the Torah is only Moshe, Moshe, Moshe. So the Gemara says, why? Mikana Tolome. From here you learn how great Gemilus Chasodim was. Because Batya, the daughter of Paro, saved him. She was Gomel Chesed. And therefore the name that she gave him is the name that God used in talking to him. Because that's the name of Chesed. And so the rabbis used all of these mechanisms to try and bring home to us this idea of the greatness of caring about others. Of how it, so to speak, carries over everything else. Moshe told the Jewish people, "Lalechus bedrochav." We have to go in the ways of God. So they said, "How can we go in the ways of God?" Right? How do? What does that mean? God is up there, so to speak, and I'm down here. God is infinite and I'm finite. God is omniscient. He knows everything. I know nothing. What do you mean to go in the ways of God? So Moshe told them, Omar, Moshe, Li Yisrael, Kol Drochav Chesed Hu. The ways of God are always Chesed. God is always cares about us. And because he cares about us, so that's how we can do it too, to care about us, to care about others. The concept of imitatio dei, to imitate God. And that's what the Gemara says, Mahu chanun, afato chanun, God has mercy, you have mercy, Mahu rachum, afato rachum, God has patience, you should have patience. God visits the sick, you should visit the sick. God comforts the bereaved. You should comfort the bereaved. That's how we know God. We know God through our behavior with other human beings. And that was always the value in Jewish life. To help out others. I saw that... uh, uh, last Pesach here in Israel so you know I forget the exact sum but millions and millions of shekel were spent on helping people to have a Pesach private money because the government is out of that business government has other problems now but that's uh, you know that's us 
That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to care about others. The Gemara asks the question, what about Megillas Rus? What do we need it for? We read it on Shruis, right? The Gemara says, There are no halachas in it. There's no laws. It doesn't teach us about the laws of Tumah, the laws of uncleanliness, the laws of purity. Lo Easter Veheter doesn't tell you what restaurant you can eat in or what restaurant you can't eat in. What Heksher is good or isn't good doesn't talk about that. What do we need it for? And the Gemara's question is if David Amelech should have buried the Megillah, right? Because it, 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 the Megillah is what calls his lineage into question. The Megillah is the proof that he comes from Rus, that he comes from a non Jewish woman. So he could have taken it and burned it. Doesn't reflect. And it was always the problem in his lifetime. They always said, oh, you know, and all the wild things that are said today, you know, the reinterpretation of Ruth, all of which is nonsense. Tengwar says one reason. The whole Megillah is to tell you how God rewards somebody that cares about someone else. Naomi, Ruz, Boaz. And where it says he told them to give her lunch. So they wrote it down in the book that a man said to give to a poor woman, a stranger, sit her down and give her lunch. Make sure she has lunch to eat. So we're going to write a whole Megillah and we're going to make a brook over it and we're going to read it on Shavuos. So it's not the story, the Gemara says, we're not interested in the story of Ruth per se. We're interested in the lesson of Gemilas Chesed. And because of the lesson of Gemilas Chesed, right? The Yishai, Holy Des David. So that's how David comes in the world. David comes in the world because Boaz said, give her lunch. The rabbis had sharp eyes. They knew how to look at the world. The Talmud says in the conclusion here, Ezevel, Ezevel Jezebel, uh, the worst of uh, the uh, villainesses that appear in the Tanakh, right? She's pretty much at the top of the list. Achav's wife, she uh, pursues the prophet Elijah. She uh, kills out the, uh, pra- the, uh, the prophets of God. She establishes uh, idolatry amongst the Jewish people. I mean, it's hard to find a good word about her. So the Novi comes and he says uh, to her that their end will be that the dogs will eat her corpse and lick her blood. And the Tanakh says that's what happened, right? And there was a, a coup. Yehu comes and makes the coup against the house of Achav, and she's killed and thrown off the wall, and the, dog, the wild dogs come and eat her. So the Gemara says there were two things they didn't eat. They didn't eat her feet, and they didn't eat her hands. So the Gemara says, why? Because it says that when Ezevel went to a wedding, she made the Chos and Kala happy. She applauded. She danced. 
So because of that, the dogs couldn't eat her hands and couldn't eat her feet. How exacting the ideas of the Torah are. How it applies to each and every one of us. How it sets up a value system that enables us to be what the Jewish people should be. Now, as I mentioned many times, these are values, these are standards that we aim for. The fact that we don't always live up to them, or that even if sometimes we do, sometimes we fall away again from them, in no way changes the value. And in no way changes the standard. Because that's what we are. And that's what we're supposed to be. And therefore, uh, by appreciating and understanding this value system, I think we have a greater appreciation of our holy faith. We have a greater appreciation of the people of Israel. And we have some inkling, at least, into what the God of Israel demands from us and is able to bless us with. I want to thank you all for coming. This has been the the final lecture in this series. J.M. in the A.M., my thanks to Iberal Wine. From the Jewish Values series, the uh, lecture on responsibility took us a little bit of time to get to the end because we interrupted so often for the uh, different conversations we've had on the air. Uh, But it is certainly a worthwhile series, and there's uh, hundreds of series. You can check it all out online, rabbiwine.com, rabbiwein.com, and, of course, you can call 1-800-499-WEIN, 1-800-499-WEIN. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Um, a reminder, Tuesday, Mincha at the Isaiah Wall will be at 2 p.m. Mincha with Talis Tfilin, bring your Sidurim as well, uh, will be at the Isaiah Wall at 2 p.m. That's the tradition on Tisha B'Av, right across from the United Nations. First Avenue, 43rd Street in New York City. Make sure to be there. Always an inspiring uh, tefillah. Monday, Yassi Baumel will join us here on uh, Erev Tishabov. He'll be here from Stay Road. Friday of next week, we'll be visiting him in Stay Road at the wonderful Achnasa Sefer Torah that we're going to be uh, participating in. And that uh, should be a wonderful event. Talk more about it as we get closer to it, of course. Tomorrow, Malcolm Honeline at this time. He'll be uh, analyzing the week's events with us here at JM in the AM. There are rumors flying about a potential ceasefire. We'll discuss all of that. Malcolm Honeline tomorrow morning, 7.40 in the morning here at JM in the AM. Join us. Our network continues all through the day with appropriate selections for the nine days, our nine days format. Continues throughout the day at jmtheam.org. Make sure you have the brand new NSN app on your Android or iPhone so you can uh, tune in no matter where you are. Want to remind everybody that our good friend Naomi Nachman, the Aussie Gourmet, is going to be at Gourmet Glot today on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst cooking up some nine days recipes. Uh, she'll be there starting at 1 p.m. today on Spruce Street in Cedarhurst at Gourmet Glot. 
Naomi Nachman will be there this afternoon. A reminder, the nine days program from Project Witness moves to Far Rockaway this Sunday. The White Shul will be presenting the, um, the presentation of the brand new documentary entitled In One Split Second, 7.30 p.m. This coming Sunday at the White Shul in Far Rockaway. 718-WITNESS for information. 718-WITNESS for information. I also remind you that uh, tonight, Yossi Baumel from Stay Road speaks at B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck, New Jersey. Tonight, Congregation B'nai Yishurin, Teaneck, New Jersey. I be- believe it's 8 o'clock. Am I right about that? I believe it's 8 p.m. tonight. Yossi Baumel speaks at Congregation B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck, New Jersey. Um, let's see here. It's tonight at 8 p.m. Tonight at 8 p.m., B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck. Yossi Baumel visits from Stay Road. Torah, uh, Yeshiva Tarvadas and Masifta and the Muncie friends of the Yeshiva Tarvadas and Masifta have an annual breakfast reception this Sunday happening at the home of the Kroll family, starting at 11 a.m. on Hastings Road up in Muncie. Harav Yisrael Belsky will be the guest speaker. Information, you can contact the yeshiva in the Brooklyn, New York. Again, that's happening up in Muncie this coming Sunday. Tisha B'Av program in Brooklyn has been announced. Um, let's see here. Are these two different programs? Yeah, it looks like these are two different programs. There is one, there's a Tisha B'Av program that's happening at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn, which will feature on Monday night Rabbi Chaim Walken and Rabbi Tzvi Mordechai Feldheim. On Tuesday, Kinnis with Rabbi David Schwartz, Rabbi Noah Orlewick, Rabbi Yosef Viner, Rabbi Yaakov Bleich, Rabbi Moshe Tovia Leif, Rabbi Shmuel Dishon, Rabbi Aaron Levitansky, Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Klein, Rabbi Fischl Schachter. That's happening at the Yeshiva of Brooklyn, 1200 Ocean Parkway, all through Tisha B'Av. There's another Tisha B'Av program that we've been uh, handed, and that's from Kolel B'nai Torah uh, at 1323 East 32nd Street between Avenues M and Kings Highway. It's free admission. It's for men and women. It's sponsored by Hakel. Again, it's happening at uh, Kolel B'nai Torah, tw- uh, 1323 East 32nd Street between M and Kings Highway. Amariv Monday night at 855. And then Rabbi David Goldwasser with Chizuk for the loneliest night of the year. He'll be speaking at 9.45. Rabbi Goldwasser, of course, will be with us on the air on Tuesday morning, Tisha B'Av. Um, Tisha B'Av morning, there'll be a Vasikin minion um, at 5.27. Then Shacharis and Kinnis with Rabbi Yosef Eisen. Um, Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, Rabbi Moshe Usher uh, Reinitz. An audiovisual presentation, Project Inspires audiovisual presentation, that spark, the Pintaliyid, Rabbi Simcha Kalis, all of these elements and speakers will be part of the Tishabov schedule for Kolel B'nai Torah in Brooklyn. Information at 718-253-5497, 718-253-5497 for information. A reminder that Project Inspire is going to be broadcasting a special Tisha B'Av program hosted by Charlie Harari 
and the Project Inspire staff off of their amazing Tisha B'Av film presentation entitled That Spark, the Pintal Yid, uh, which will be on the projectinspire.com. The program called Every Action Counts will feature stories and messages how even small actions we do for others can have effects for a lifetime. Many personalities will be joining for remarks. If you have a story or small act that you've done that has affected the life of another, or if you've been the recipient of another's kindness that hasn't had an impact on your life, please write your story to radio at projectinspire.com. Radio at projectinspire.com. And starting at 6.30 p.m. on Tisha B'Av, the final two hours of the fast, starting at 6.30 p.m. on Tisha B'Av, You'll be able to hear Charlie Harari, Project Inspire, and you'll hear it on our network. If you tune into NahumSiegel.com or JMNAM.org, um, if you tune into either of those streams, either of those sites, at the end of Tishabov, Charlie Harari will be on those uh, streams, on those sites, starting at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It's something that we did last year. It's a very, very effective way to wrap up the Tishabov fast. And uh, we look forward to greeting all of you uh, with that uh, with that special radio program. The feature film on Tisha B'Av entitled uh, "That Spark: The Pintaliyid" by Project Inspire. Information about the film and how to get it into your area, your synagogue, your bungalow colony, etc. Uh, just go to the web. Go to the web at kiruv.com or projectinspire.com. And you'll be able to have that as part of your Tisha B'Av, no matter where you are in this area. Uh, Tisha B'Av program for the um, Flatbush community with Shachris at 8 and Kinnis at 8.45 on Tuesday. Uh, Rabbi Moshe Usher Reinitz will have a detailed explanation of Kinnis um, at Rabbi Zakheim Shul, 2423 Avenue J, corner of Bedford and J., this coming Tuesday on Tisha B'Av, so keep that in mind. Lots of synagogues are going to be um, are going to be doing uh, a special shiurim and presentations. I'm assuming the OU is going to have a um, a live feed from Kinnis as they do each year. I'll get the details on that and pass it along uh, to all of you. I do remind you that um, the Kleiman Family Holocaust Education Center presents. A plea for rescue with a special tribute to Rabbi Elimelech, Mike, and Mrs. Hinda Tress. This Tuesday, Tisha B'Av at 2.30 at the Terrace Golda Hall on 50th Street in Brooklyn. Members of the Tress family will be there, and there'll be a premiere of the original documentary film. Information on that, 718-759-6200, 718-759-6200. So there's a lot going on uh, on Tisha B'Av. I mentioned Mincha, 2 p.m. at the Isaiah Wall across the street from the U.N. That is... Uh, First Avenue and the 43rd Street in New York City. Please be there for the uh, Mincha service. It's always a very inspiring one. We encourage everybody to be there and to participate. Uh, you'll be very glad you did, I believe. Um... Just seeing if I could find information about the 
Here we go. The OU will present the annual Tishabov webcast for this year with Rabbi Tzvi Hirsch Weinrib and Rabbi Stephen Weil. Um, the program is dedicated by Richard and Deborah Parkoff in memory of Richard's parents. Rabbi Weil's Tishabov webcast is co-sponsored by Boca Raton Synagogue in the young Israel of Deerfield Beach. The live webcast by Rabbi Weinrib on Jeremiah's journey, ruin, resilience, redemption, will take place at 9 a.m. Israel time from the OU Israel headquarters. The recorded video will be available online starting at 9.30 in the morning, and it will be Rabbi Weinrib's 26th annual Tisha B'Av presentation. Rabbi Weil's The Poetry of the Pain, an analysis of the keynote, will continue from 9.15 a.m. to 2 p.m. Eastern time in Florida, and then the recorded video will be available online at 4 p.m. So you have uh, the OU covering um, Eicha and Kin- I should say Kinnis in a uh, in an international way. Rabbi Weinreb live from Israel, which you can catch at OU.org, and then Rabbi Weil live from Florida, which you can catch Tuesday at OU.org. So everyone's encouraged to participate, no matter where you are around the world. I I was actually driving last year on Tishabov, and uh, they were with me on my smartphone the entire time, and boy, was it a, a tremendous way to spend those couple of hours. So call it a vote. And, of course, don't forget, we'll be here with Kinos uh, Tuesday morning live on JM and the AM, as has been our tradition. I'm assuming Rabbi Goldwasser and I will begin at about 7.30. We'll go till about 8.15. Uh, I'll have the uh, the privilege, uh, or I should say the task, of uh, chanting the Kinos and uh, Rabbi Goldwasser will be explaining and inspiring us with his words uh, in between each of the paragraphs. So join us Tuesday for that. Um, all right, more coming up at JM and the AM. Uh, I, I did want to mention, before we go back to Rabbi Wine, I did want to mention that our friends at Job Katif have been encouraging everybody out there to dedicate this Shabbat, Shabbat Chazon, Parshas Dvarim, to the Gush Katif families who now live in the South. 92% of the families that Job Katif takes care of live in the South. These, of course, are people who used to live in the uh, Gaza Strip, but just under nine years ago were thrown out. Um, go to jobkatif.org for information and uh, and dedicate this Shabbos to funds for Job Katif. That's jobkatif.org, job, K-A-T-I-F.org, job, K-A-T-I-F.org. TIF.org, and your help, of course, is greatly appreciated. And if you want to speak directly, as Joey Bodner recommended, you know, try to speak directly to any cause that's raising money for soldiers. If you want to speak directly to the people at Orme or Bracha who are collecting for soldiers in Jerusalem, uh, you can call 718 705 7444. That's 718 705 7444. We're looking forward to our journey to Israel which takes place next week, uh, Thursday with Yom NCSY, Friday with Stay Road, with our friends the following week with Nefesh Benefesh. We're also going to be visiting Psagot. I want to thank Yaichi Herzog and Jay Booksbaum. They've arranged for us to be at the Psagot Winery for a show that we're going to put on, I believe, during the Thursday Live Lunch next week. And it's not just a winery in Israel. It is also an amazing and incredible story from the area of the Shomron that I think will be very inspiring to all. So we get to do some really interesting stuff this trip, and uh, in addition to bring messages 
of solidarity and uh, hope and thanks to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, especially in places like Stay Road. We have a chance to do that next week, and we're looking forward to it. 17 minutes after 8 o'clock, before we go back to uh, Rabbi Wine, I just want to read the latest news from the Jerusalem Post blog. Uh, the rumors, of course, of the uh, ceasefire continue. Meanwhile, sirens continue to sound in Stay Road. At 1 o'clock Israel time, rocket sirens sounded in both the Gaza and Ashkelon areas. 2 o'clock, a soldier was lightly injured by sniper fire in the neighborhood of Sejala in Gaza, according to the IDF. And both at 2.22 this afternoon in Israel and 2.51 this afternoon in Israel, sirens sounded in the Eshkol Regional Council, uh, which shows us that uh, as much as uh, there's talk of a ceasefire, certainly does not seem imminent. A Palestinian and Egyptian sources have reported that a Palestinian delegation comprised of both Hamas and Islamic Jihad arrived Thursday morning in Cairo to discuss a potential ceasefire agreement with Israel. We'll see if any of that happens. Rabbi Beryl Wine, in his Jewish Values series, has a lecture entitled The Land of Israel. Here it is at JM in the AM. Tonight's uh, topic uh, deals with Eretz Israel as a value. Now, and I'm talking as a uh, political statement or as an idea of uh, Jewish nationalism, but as a religious value, because this entire series deals with values, and the value of Eretz Israel as uh, an idea uh, is one of the most supreme values in all of Torah and all of the Jewish people. I read an article uh, before Yom Yushalayim, written by the chief rabbi of Haifa, Rav Shor Yashuv Cohen, uh, who uh, the thrust of the article uh, was a remembrance of his experiences in Yerushalayim. He was captured in the 1948 war. He spent nine months in the Jordanian prison camp, lost part of his leg. Uh, and he writes about his experiences uh, regarding... Yerushalayim over the past 57 years. But one of the things that he pointed out is, uh, and he said it very clearly, he said that Medinat Yisrael, the state of Israel, is meant to be a conduit, is meant to be a means to achieve Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. And in other words, that the state and our nationalism and everything that we have accomplished, that's not the end, that's only the means. And the means, uh, he quotes naturally from his father, the Nazir, and uh, from Rav Kook, uh, that the physical rebuilding of the Jewish people is a necessary prerequisite for the spiritual rebuilding of the Jewish people. But it is not the end, the end is that spiritual rebuilding and as he calls it, it's the rebuilding of Eretz Israel, and not just of Medinas Israel. So we speak about Eretz Israel here as a value, as one of the ideas uh, that has been constant throughout Jewish history. And it's been constant, it's interesting whether the Jewish people were here in the land of Israel, or whether they were in the diaspora, in the exile. Uh, because uh, we see in the Nevi'im, 
the Nevi'im always speak about how does Eretz Yisrael react to the behavior of the people who live there. As though Eretz Yisrael is a living thing. It's not a passive piece of land, but it's a living organism. And this living organism reacts to what happens on it, around it, through it, and that that's the value, uh, that's the idea of what Eretz Yisrael represents. Now, the Jewish people spent most of their history outside the land of Israel. Uh, we're a people that are uh, 33, over 3,300 years old from Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and most of the time we have not been here. And whenever we have been here, uh, it has not been sweetness and light. There were periods, good periods, the period of David HaMelech, the period of Shlomo HaMelech, 80 years. Then it started to fall apart. Uh, the time of uh, the second temple, the period of the Hashmanoim, so the first hundred years uh, was a good time, and then it fell apart. And it's been a difficult, difficult situation always regarding living in the land of Israel. And the reason for that is because we are trying to translate a spiritual value into an everyday life, into a state that has to function, into all of the problems of everyday living. It's much easier to deal with it as an imaginary thing, because then you never have any disappointments, and you don't have to worry about it, and you don't have to collect taxes, and you don't have the, the whole problem. But how do we make it work practically? Uh, that is a major challenge, and that challenge has faced the Jewish people every time they've been here in the land of Israel. So we find that uh, during the time of Yoshua and the Shoftim, so during the time of Yoshua, the Jewish people still were afraid of Yoshua because they still were afraid of Moshe. Moshe had such a lasting influence upon them that as long as Yoshua was here, they still thought that Moshe was here. But when Yoshua died, so then Vayibi Shvota Shoftim, we read now in the Megillah of Ruth, Shvota uh, Shoftim Rashi says the judges were judged. The Jewish people said, in effect, Miata, who are you to tell me to do anything? Everybody did whatever they wanted to. It was the ultimate pluralistic society. Do whatever you want. So then it's chaos. Falls apart. So then God has to remind them that they're Jews, right? So he sends the Plishtim, he sends the Amalekim, he sends the Knanim. All sorts of problems. And it takes time until David HaMelech comes on the scene uh, that the situation somehow becomes ameliorated. Now it becomes livable. And uh, during the last years of David, the last 20 years of David, and the first 25, 30 years of Shlomo HaMelech, so then it is finally what Eretz Yisrael is supposed to be. And they build the temple, and everything is wonderful. But people, especially the Jewish people, cannot stand prosperity. They cannot stand that everything should be wonderful, so they have to make it not so wonderful. And uh, Shlomo uh, wanders away, 
and then there's a rebellion, and Yerovim ben Nevot, and then they split into two kingdoms, and then they become idolaters and pagans, and that's the story. So because of that, Eretz Yisrael is the most sensitive topic to discuss. And I hesitated to put it down on the sheet as one of the values to discuss, because I'm well aware that whatever one says... Uh, can unfortunately be subject to misinterpretation and also because it's so sensitive because we're living here and we're part of it and therefore we feel it perhaps differently than in the theory of Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says, Gimel Matonos Nosan HaKadosh Baruch Yisrael God gave us three gifts. And all three come with great pain. The three gifts are Torah. If you want to be a Talmud Chacham, if you want to study Torah, then it's sacrifice, it's Yisurim, it's uh, giving up hours and time. If you really want to be a great Talmud Chacham, so then it requires an enormous amount of concentration, willpower. It's Yisurim. It's not easy. Anyone who has ever opened the Daf Gemara and looked at it, is the page itself is sufficient to dissuade you from going further. The three different fonts on the page, it's, uh, it's written in a language that's uh, very difficult for us. We don't speak Aramaic anymore. And then you have Rashi on one side and Tosas on the other side, and then you have uh, the Rosh on the back, and nobody agrees on anything with it. It's Biyasurim. If you want to accomplish something, then you have to pay for it. The second thing the Gemara says is Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael comes by Yisurin. It's a matona. So look at the language of the Talmud. The language of the Talmud is that it's a gift. Meaning we're not entitled. The language of matona is always that you're not entitled. It's a gift. There are certain things in life that we think we're entitled to. But there, the Talmud, when it says Matonah, so you're not entitled to be a Talmud Chochem, you have to earn it. You're not entitled there to Israel, you have to earn it. How do you earn it? Be Yisurin, right? Then we can all testify what that means. The Jewish people for over the past hundred years here in Eretz Israel, every day is Yisurim, every day is problems, every day is blood. Every day is all of the difficulties that we're so well aware of. And the greatest Yisurim is that you don't see any way out of it. That's, you know, as long as you see a way out of it, then people, uh, people uh, almost are happy to absorb the Yisurim. But Yisurim on end, with no way out, so that already is a different level of pain. The third gift that Gemara says is Olam eternity, immortality. So you only gain that also through sacrifice. You only gain that also through willing to undergo sacrifice and pain. So because of that, we have this great concept that Eretz Yisrael has to be earned. Now you have another concept that God promised it to us. He told us from the beginning, He told Avram Avinu, I'm giving you this land, it's going to be yours. He told it to Yitzchak, He told it to Yaakov, 
He's told it to us from the beginning of time. This is your land. I'm giving it to you. The only thing is that when it comes uh, to the bottom line, uh, it's not our land. Avraham Avinu wants uh, to bury his wife, Sarah. So he has to buy the Mars HaMachpelah from the B'nai Ches, from Ephron, for an enormous amount of money. The Rashi there quotes the Medrash that says, Avram, the, the greatness of Avram was that he didn't say to God, but you promised me, you said it's my land. What do you mean i got to pay him 400 shekel over La Socher, the best mint coins? You promised it to me. And Yitzchak digs wells all over the country, and all the wells the Philistines uh, take over, they stop them up, they throw them out. And the Yitzhak does not say, but you promised me that the land is mine. And Yaakov Avinu, when he comes back from Lovan, so he has to buy the land by Shechem. And he doesn't say again, you know, God, you promised me. You told me it would be mine. So that's part of the definition of Yisurin. Yisurin is when you have to buy and sacrifice for what is yours. What belongs to you already. You have to start all over again. Which is in essence what happened to the Jewish people over the last hundred years. Whether it be through uh, the Karen Kayemet or through private funds or whatever, or purchase, you, you have to buy it all over again. Because of the fact that that's Eretz Yisrael and Niknis be Yisurin. So we have to be prepared for that. We have to realize that on one hand it's ours. It was promised to us by God. And God's promises are valid. God's contract has never defaulted. And on the other hand, uh, we have to earn it. We have to buy it. We have to fight for it. We have to bleed for it. It's not ours. And that balance, uh, that contradiction almost, uh, lies at the heart of the Yisurian of Eretz Yisrael. Now, the Talmud has very, the Talmud is very, very pro-Eretz Yisrael. Let's put it that way. And the Talmud uh, has almost a hidden anger, and this is the Babylonian Talmud, let alone the Yerushalmi, the uh, Talmud that was written in Eretz Yisrael. The Talmud has almost a hidden anger at people that don't come to Eretz Yisrael when they have an opportunity to do so. When the Jewish world had an opportunity to do so. The Gemara says, for instance, by Ezra, that at the time of Ezra, most of the Jews stayed in Bavel. They didn't come back. And the Talmud says, Ilu olu kachoma, if they would have come up in waves, they would have, if they would have come home, then the second temple would have had all of the spiritual glory and miracles that the first temple had. But because the Jews didn't want it, so God says, okay, so you don't want it, I, I don't want it either. J.M. in the A.M., Rabbi Beryl Wine, and his amazing lectures, which play such an important part for us here each and every year during our nine days format at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, we've been talking a lot, of course, uh, today and this week about what's going on in Israel Make sure to be tuned in tomorrow morning. Malcolm Holmline will join us, and we'll analyze the events of this week during the weekly update. That happens about 7.40 Eastern time tomorrow. 
We have a special guest with us live via telephone. The problem with speaking to Phil Rosen at a time like this is that he likely cannot share with us everything that he knows regarding the current situation. But we'll try to uh, speak to him and uh, find out what we can. Phil, of course, is the uh, chairman emeritus of the American Friends of Likud and uh, vice uh, chairman of the uh, Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, he's actually on his way, we've discovered, to a meeting with Senator Cruz today. And boy, does Senator Cruz get a big dose of credit from the pro-Israel world. Phil Rosen, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, do we have him there? Phil, are you there? Welcome back to JM in the AM. I am here. There we go. Uh, I don't know if you heard my intro or not. <laughs> I, I did. You did hear. Okay, good. Uh, you do agree that Ted Cruz, you know, it's funny. I know it's an exaggeration, but but some of my friends keep saying, you know, it's amazing. Ted Cruz has two Jews in his state, and he's the most outspoken about Israel. And you go to states where there's tremendous Jewish population, and we can't get the same type of reaction from the, the Senate leadership. I know it's somewhat of an exaggeration. There are nice Jewish communities down in Texas, but you still have to admire Ted Cruz for the way he stood up over the last few weeks. No, you are so right. Ted has been a leader um, in the pro-Israel movement and uh, a great friend and will continue to be. And that's, uh, that's someone that we need to uh, support. Part of the reason why I'm going down is to talk about that and talk about what he's done and what he can do. We're actually talking as well about possibly going on a solidarity mission to, uh, to Israel, like the one I just came back from. So, uh, so you'll convey that to him today, that there are a lot of people out there who really appreciate what he's doing. I will do that. I will tell him that. And by the way, credit where credit is due, since we have been critical of uh, Senate leadership from heavily uh, Jewish areas, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand has teamed up with Ted Cruz. What do you think of this shidduch? And they're pushing a resolution condemning Hamas in the war against Israel. So I'm glad to see that she has uh, stepped up and that she and Ted Cruz together are teaming up for this. I agree. She, you know, the um, uh, crisis makes strange bedfellows and... Uh, <laughs> I would say this is this is definitely one of those uh, one of those shifts. Um, but uh, listen, we we take our friends, and uh, you know the bipartisan support of Israel is uh, sacrosanct and very important to all of us. No um, so thank God she stepped up. Phil Rosen is with us. Uh, he's heading to Washington as we speak. All right, we know how close you are with the Prime Minister. Uh, rumors, and, and we also know that there's probably a limit to what you can say on the air, so we get all that. But rumors are flying like crazy now regarding a potential ceasefire. I have heard predictions from people that this whole thing could come to an end at Israel's behest uh, this weekend. What can you tell us? Do you get a feeling in terms of a timetable for this war with Hamas? Well, what's interesting to me is there's a lot of talk about ceasefire, and yet um, the intensity with which uh, the prime minister and the defense minister and the uh, army chief of staff are waging this campaign is 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 amazing. Um, they just called up uh, another uh, group of reserves to uh, to supplement what they have. I mean, it's going to be uh, seventy-five, eighty thousand soldiers out there, um, you know, searching for these tunnels and searching to destroy uh, much of what Hamas has in terms of military might. Um, I, my personal opinion is that uh, the, uh, the leadership of Israel is not going to stop until um, they feel that they've weakened Hamas in a way that uh, we won't have another 
um, another outbreak two years from now. They, um, you know, they want this one to uh, to stick. And in order for that to happen, you know, now we know that this tunnel network is as extensive as the New York City subway system, <laughs> and uh, it needs to be destroyed. Let me ask you, uh, we, we, we keep reading about, uh, you know, again, potential ceasefires, and at the same time Israel saying that even if there is a ceasefire, we will not stop the activities to destroy all these tunnels. Are the two reconcilable? Is it possible for there to be an official ceasefire and Israel still carry out operations that would curtail the tunnel activity? Well, let me let me reverse that with a question. Um, if you were in the shoes of Hamas, would you agree to a ceasefire um, that allows Israel's military to, you know, march through the streets destroying tunnels and uh, the military might of Hamas? Yeah, one would I, think I doubt that. that. Right. So I think uh, I think it's more that it's not going to happen on that regard. You know, Israel will will agree to a ceasefire, and uh, and and I guess they should, um, as long as they can continue on their task. Phil Rosen with us live via telephone on his way to Washington, Chairman Emeritus American Friends of Likud and Vice Chair of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, look, you're very close with Bibi. Um, we know that his popularity is at a, probably the highest ever. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that's a reflection of the unity right now in Israel. Is this unexpected by him? Is, is he expressing to you that as as unified as he knows the Jewish people could be at times like this, that he never thought it would be in this type of unprecedented manner? He, he is singularly focused on the war effort right now, and... Um, Although he appreciates the support, that's not anything that goes into his daily talk or, or his, even his thinking. I think right now it's, it's finishing the war effort and making sure that Israel is safe. And his popularity is a result of, in my mind, uh, the entire Israel being united. I've never seen, I was there last week, as, as you know, and I've never seen Israel this united, um, both behind the prime minister and behind um, the war effort. Yeah, but even, uh, but even, even though he's not focused on it, I'm sure you would say he feels it, right? It, it's def- yes. he, he definitely feels that it is back. Yes, he does, and uh, he appreciates it, and he definitely feels it. Um, and, you know, he took uh, several votes in his um, security cabinet, which has in it some people that would be considered left-wingers, like Tippi Livni and, um, uh, and Lapid. And uh, all of the votes that he's taken recently in terms of whether to go for a ceasefire or not go for a ceasefire, whether to continue the effort in Gaza, all of the votes have been unanimous. Right. And that's unheard of in, uh, in Israeli politics. What did you think of his um, appearances for the U.S.? And the world, you know, if you time it right, you could have seen him, I think, uh, on eight consecutive <laughs> networks this past Sunday morning. Do you think the message that the prime minister is uh, is giving to the world through the American media is getting out there and is effective? You know, it is getting out there. The problem is that the American media, and, and even worse, is the uh, European media is extremely biased against Israel. I mean... I explained to somebody yesterday, somebody very important in the, in the media, that uh, let's just say Canada wasn't a friend, and uh, they were digging tunnels from uh, Montreal or Toronto to uh, to New York. Would we just sit back and say, "Yeah, that's all right"? You know, it's uh, it's only a few people that are going to die, only a few hundred. Are we going to say that if, if if it happened here? 
And uh, the answer is obviously not. The answer is that Israel, you know, has to do what they're doing. The world press has decided that because they can find pictures of, of children who were killed, unfortunately, sadly, um, they're putting it on the press. I mean, the New York Times has had nine, I think, nine covers with pictures of uh, children who've died in, uh, in, in battle, um, many of them human shields that are put by, by Hamas in front of uh, Israeli uh, weaponry. Um, outrageous. Nine pictures. You know, if not, if not for the Internet, we wouldn't even be able to understand to the level that we do at the moment the scope of these tunnels and how large they are and how sophisticated they are. The general press or the go-to press that you're describing isn't concentrating at all on what the enemy is doing. They, you know, they had one article in the New York Times about the tunnels, and even with that article, they accompanied that with a picture of a of a morgue, um, a Palestinian morgue. They couldn't even they couldn't even get themselves to put a picture of the tunnels on the front page of of the newspaper. No. It's just amazing to me. Somebody somebody made a joke, which is is kind of funny but sad that if Hamas was in charge of the Second Avenue subway system, we would have had that up and running about five years ago. <laughs> yeah, it is funny, but boy, like you say, the truth sometimes is hilarious. You're on your way to Washington. Uh, you'll be there this morning. We mentioned your meeting with Ted Cruz. What is your reaction? I mean, you're, look, you represent the Republican Jewish Coalition, but you certainly can comment about both sides of the aisle. How do you think the House and Senate have been throughout the last uh, three weeks as this has been going on in Israel? So I think the support has been great. As as you know, bipartisan support for Israel is uh, is so important to uh, to Israel and to to us Jewish supporters. Um, I, I would hope that uh, Harry Reid would not block the uh, or not tie the two hundred million dollars that's being asked for for the Iron Dome, the additional uh, the supplemental budget not tie that to immigration, which is what he has done. Right. I would hope that they drop that issue and, and move that forward, because the Iron Dome is a miracle, and a miracle that we need to support. Um, you know, it's something extremely special, and I say thank you to Amir Peretz, who's not uh, obviously from the party that uh, I support, but he was the one who pushed it forward. To all the people at Rafael. Um, that created the Iron Dome, and to the U.S. Congress and the President for pushing the support of the Iron Dome forward, because that's made the world a difference. Was there a um, any type of, I don't know, episode or specific meeting or encounter that you remember in regard to Ted Cruz? Because he's really made a very good impression, as I said at the beginning of this conversation, in the pro-Israel Community. I don't know. Was there a trip? Was there anything that happened in his career where you said to yourself, "Boy, oh boy!" Now I understand why this man gets it when it comes to Israel's situation. He has been there, um, and uh, he is a religious uh, Christian. Um, so I think those are two pieces of the puzzle. You know, as uh, as President, former President Bush, um, forty three said, uh, when you travel the country and we see what what risks the country faces and how, how many strides it's taken forward, um, you admire it and you can't help but do so. So, And I think, uh, I think Ted feels that way as well. Mm, interesting. All right, good luck today. Convey our thanks, of Thank course. You. I know you will, and thanks so much for joining us today. 
Thank you again, Nussum, and, and keep doing the great work you do. Greatly appreciate that. Phil Rosen, he's Chairman Emeritus, American Friends of Likud, Vice Chair of the Republican Jewish Coalition, very close confidant to the Prime Minister. As I said, there's probably stuff he knows that he can't share with us on the air, but hey, you got to understand that. And today he's meeting with Senator Cruz, who has been so outspoken on uh, the issue of Israel and its security, especially over the last few weeks. Just amazing. Uh, the way he and other certain other public officials have come through. Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Uh, Malcolm Honline joins us tomorrow. We'll analyze the events of the week with him tomorrow morning on this program during our weekly update. Make sure to join us uh, about 7.40 tomorrow morning right here. Uh, we went through some of the uh, Tisha B'Av schedule earlier. I do remind you that Mincha on Tuesday at the Isaiah Wall, 1st Avenue, 43rd Street, begins at four at 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Mincha, bring your talus and tefillin. And Sidurim, uh, this coming, uh, this coming Tuesday. I also remind you that the right here on our stream at jmnam.org, nachumsegel.com, um, as we did last year, there'll be a presentation, a special live radio presentation with Charlie Harari and some of the inspiring people of Project Inspire. Uh, that's how the fast is going to end. They'll hit the uh, airwaves at 6.30 p.m. When you tune in Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to NahumSiegel.com or JMTheM.org, you'll hear Charlie with Project Inspire, and that'll go until 8.30, until just before the fast ends. Uh, so make sure Tuesday night, as Tisha B'Av starts to wane away, uh, that you're with us on our stream. You'll be glad you did, because uh, it's going to be another inspiring session from Charlie Harari. Uh, tonight, Yassi Baumol of Stay Road will be at the uh, Congregation B'nai Yashurin that starts at 8 p.m. in Teaneck, New Jersey. Yassi Baumol tonight in Teaneck. Monday, he's with us at JM in the AM. Next week, uh, Thursday, we're with Yom NCSY, and Friday, we're in Stay Road with Yassi Baumol uh, and company. On Erev Shabbos Nachamu, make sure to be tuned in right here at JM in the AM. 13 minutes before the hour, more from Rabbi Beryl Wine and his series, Jewish Values. He is discussing the land of Israel at JM in the AM. It didn't come back. And throughout the history of the Second Temple, there were tremendous uh, Jewish communities all over the Mediterranean basin, in Rome, in Greece, in Bovel, in, uh, uh, in Egypt, in Alexandria. The rabbis always held that against them. And therefore the rabbis said, for instance, Hashem, The Lord has made me dwell in darkness. That's the Babylonian Talmud. The Babylonian Talmud, which the Gemara speaks about itself, is darkness because it was composed in Bovel. And... Uh, Bovel uh, had a very, very high spiritual state, great Talmidei Chachomim, great yeshivas, a great Jewish community. So let me just quote to you a few Gemaras, because the Gemara says that the land itself has a holiness to it. The land itself has a holiness to it. It's called Eretz HaKodesh, the holy land. So you don't hear it so much amongst Jews, but in the non-Jewish world, they still call it the Holy Land. Eretz HaKodesh, the land itself has holiness, independent of who is there, and independent of how people behave there. 
The land itself is holy. So the Gemara says, an interesting Gemara, Rabbi Brokia, Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, two of the Talmidim of Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan had the great yeshiva in Tveria in the 3rd century. So two of his Talmidim, Rabbi Brokia and Rabbi Lezer ben Pedos, uh, they were uh, taking a walk by the Yom Kinneret, by uh, the gate to Tveria. Now, in the ancient world, in the time of the Talmud, Tveria, as today, was a great burial ground. Had large Jewish cemeteries. The uh, great hill uh, on which the tomb of Rebmeir Balanes perches on top, that whole hill is a cemetery. It has thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of graves in it. Because the cemeteries at the time of the Talmud were caves that were dug into the side of the mountain and that uh, because of the shortage of land uh, they uh, let the body decompose for a year and then they collected the bones and put them in an ossuary in a ceramic jar and that jar they put in in the cave and then they had room to bury again It was a uh, different system than we are accustomed to. In any event, they are at the gates of Tveria. And they see they're bringing bodies from Chutzlaretz, right, to be buried in Eretz Yisrael. So here we have two different opinions. And the two opinions are very sharply stated. And you can hear them both today as well. They resonate in our world. Omar lo rabrokio mahoilu elu. Who needs them? What value are they coming now to get buried here? Bechayehem heinichu osi. When they were alive, they didn't come. They weren't interested to live in Eretz Israel. Ubemisosom bola. And now they come. We as corpses. And I say that this posik refers to them. That's My country, my land, the land of Israel, you treated it abominably. That was while you were alive. You didn't come. And now you have come and you have defiled my country because a mace brings with it, tumor brings with it defilement the misastem so he's not very happy he didn't come, he said who needs you now Omar lo Rabbi Elezer so Rabbi Elezer ben Pedos said to him no, 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 you're wrong Lohi it's not correct Kivan shehein nigborim beretz Yisrael since they will be buried in the land of Israel, v'niten lahem gush ofor shel Eretz Yisrael, and they will have the dust, the dirt of Eretz Yisrael will cover their bodies, mechaperes, it brings forgiveness to them. It says, v'chiper admoso amo, Moshe Rabbeinu said, the land of Israel is a kapora for the people. And therefore, 
if uh, they come even to be buried, so then the holiness of the land is such that that fact that they're buried here is alone sufficient to bring forgiveness for all their sins. Now, uh, we realize uh, that throughout the ages, the Jews desired to be buried in Eretz Israel. And they came, their bodies were brought from far distant countries in order to be able to be buried in Eretz Israel. And one of the few uh, uh, permissible uh, times when a body can be exhumed and reburied is when the body is taken from outside Eretz Israel to be reburied in the land of Israel. That's because the land itself is holy. And therefore, the holy soil of the land brings a kapora for the person, even if the person did not come during his or her lifetime. And uh, because of that, there was a custom, there still is the custom throughout the Jewish world, that even a Jew that passes away in the exile and is buried outside of Eretz Israel, but uh, in the grave, uh, earth from Eretz Israel is always placed there. Because the earth of Eretz Israel is Vechiper Admoso Amo, and that's what he said, Gush Ofform Eretz Israel, a piece of the dust of the dirt of Eretz Israel is sufficient to bring a kapor for a person. So we see that one of the values of Eretz Israel is that it is holy. And the rule in Jewish law is kol hamechubor letahara tohor. If you are attached to purity, to holiness, then you become somewhat holy. It's, a, uh, it's an osmosis effect. It seeps into you, whether you want it or not. And therefore... Eretz Yisrael has that value that for the Jewish people it brings holiness to us. And it's one of the mitzvahs, there are two mitzvahs, the, the Bali Musa said, there are two mitzvahs that a Jew can, the, the word in Lithuania was that he can walk in with his boots. The one is in the sukkah, right? You go into the sukkah so you have the mitzvah. And one is Eretz Yisrael. You come there, it's his oil, you walk in, you're here. That's the mitzvah. So that's the only, those are the only mitzvahs that, so to speak, you know, you can do with your boots on. You just walk in. You don't, doesn't require uh, any great thought on your part as much as it requires just your presence in a certain place. Second idea regarding Eretz oil, Esalech lifnei Hashem be'artzos hachayim. I want to walk in front of God in the land of the living. So the Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the land of the living. And the Gemara says that Trias HaMesim begins in Eretz Yisrael. And we have that concept that's called Gilgul Mechilos, that uh, when the dead are resurrected, so there will be tunnels that will exist uh, that will uh, be able that the Jews who are buried outside Eretz Yisrael will be able to roll to Eretz Yisrael because in Eretz Yisrael is where Trias HaMesim will be. By tradition, uh, Trias HaMesim will begin on the Mount of Olives, on Harazesim. And that's why Harazesim became the original 
famous Jewish cemetery in the world. And that's why the Hebra Kadisha charges more money there than in other places. And you know that Jews like to be first in line, right? So it's going to happen, so you might as well might as well be there. But that's the same concept, that there's a holiness to the land itself. And the holiness is that it's Eretz HaChayim, it's you're alive. Even if the person is physically not alive. But being an Eretz Yisrael, because of Echiper Admoso Amo, then he is considered to be alive. And the Gemara says, Tzadikim b'misosom nikroim chayim. Righteous people, even if they have passed from the world, are still called living people. And rishoyim b'chayim, evil people, even if they're still walking around on the earth, nikroim mesim, they're dead already. The definition of life and death is not necessarily whether a person is breathing. It has to do with our soul, it has to do with our eternity, it has to do with our memory, it has to do with what people think of us, what generations think of us. And therefore the, the definition of Chaim and Mesim is different. So the Gemara therefore says, Yeshiva Eretz Yisrael mitzvah bifnei Living in Eretz Yisrael is a mitzvah all by itself. So just being here is a My thanks, sir. I borrow wine. We will try to conclude the lecture on the land of Israel tomorrow morning early here at JM in the AM. It's a Thursday and all through the day on the Nachum Siegel Network, jmtheam.org, nachumsegel.com. You'll hear appropriate selections for the nine days as we continue on to Tisha B'Av being observed this coming Monday night and Tuesday. Achenu Bisrael and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, and around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. Tomorrow morning, Malcolm Holmline, he's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us tomorrow at 7.40 in the morning to analyze the events of this week. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a good Thursday, everybody. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.